Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome to the Jefferson High Aquatics Gymnasium for the 2004 Girls Finals in the 4x100 meter freestyle relay. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Mother May I Sleep a Podcast, quarantine edition, mini episode edition. Today we have on an exciting guest. She is a fellow nacho expert and she and I met in my Instagram DMs and she was telling me all about, you know, different Lifetime movies she had, some passions, some takes. And I was like, let's just take this to a Patreon mini episode. And we talked for two hours. Um, so she got to see in real life how I can talk for two hours and it it's not a big deal to me. Um, her name is Kate. Kate, welcome to the show. Hi, Molly. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, you recommended this movie while we were doing the episode. And I said to you, you know, at the time, it sounded really like, whoa, this movie sounds bonkers. Because, um, you know, these ideas, when you present them, like everything that goes on in this movie, it, it's crazy. Um, but when you watch it, it really sits with you um, how fucking bonkers the sisters are in A Sister's Secret. This movie is batshit crazy. It uh, is. <laughs> it And there was so much, because I saw it a long time ago. So when we were talking about it on the other episode, there was a lot that I didn't remember um that in re-watching it it's just it's it's crazy it is a crazy film and a- allegedly based on a true story which you were saying you tried to research a little bit what the true story was and i kind of just came to the conclusion that if the writer says to whoever they're pitching this to at lifetime you know i know someone this happened to they're, they're <laughs> like okay let's roll with it That's because okay. there's no evidence of there's this being nothing true. there is nothing beyond like every website that this movie is mentioned on saying it's based on a true story or inspired by a true story. Um, I went down so many twin rabbit holes trying to figure this out. I was looking at like, you know, wrongful death cases in Georgia, like trying to figure (laughs) out if that was a way that, you know, we could find it. I literally emailed the production company. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I am not. Um, oh, I my God. I heard back. I am so, like, overwhelmed with the crazy of this story being an actual story that I, I just, I couldn't stop looking. And I cannot believe you emailed the production company. <laughs> that is buck wild. Not even I have gone there because I will one, I'm afraid of all of them. But two, like, I just wouldn't have even, I wouldn't have thought to call them out on it. I mean, what do I have to lose? Really? I was at, I was grasping for straws. I know. I appreciate your passion. I'm wondering, I mean, I'm sure you already did this, but I wonder if the writer is on Twitter or something. So that's the funny thing about this movie. Like on the IMDb, it doesn't like explicitly show a writer, if I'm not mistaken. Um, But they list a bunch of producers. And then I think, let me see. 
Am it's I wrong? so funny because like now when I, you know, when you like um, type in IMDb or whatever to your um, your search bar and it just pulls up like your most frequent webs, like the most frequent page for that website. Mm-hmm. For me, I just just pulled up Haley Duff when I typed in <laughs> IMDb. Yeah, there is no writer There's listed no for writer this Because I I'm, thought about that too. That was going to be my first my first um, person to go to. Maybe DJ Viola, the director of this film, also wrote. Yeah. He's done a bunch of different stuff. He did um, Eminem Presents the Anger Management Tour in 2005. Yes. This guy's done a lot of stuff. But wait, um, Kate, I just blew past it. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about who you are? Oh, sure. Um, I mean, I <laughs> I am just a nacho expert like the rest of you. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um, I... I don't know. I've always uh, loved Lifetime movies, sometimes um, binging way too many of them. And um, I don't know. I'm I'm a huge fan of the podcast. Um, I've listened for years and just, um, I don't know. I got, I got very excited about a particular movie one night and just, felt like I needed to talk to you specifically about it. Um, <laughs> so but, I was- listen, I honestly, I appreciated <laughs> your approach. Like I, I told you, like there are people that sometimes, usually I'm pretty responsive. Sometimes there's people like I really like, and it's a rare one. I, I like m- maybe two people have to be concerned that this is them, but like they'll send me something that's really like out of pocket. And I'm just like, all right, I can't deal with that right now but um you sent a really like compelling couple of paragraphs and i was like okay it's like i i I need to engage with this nacho expert um to the extent that i wanted you to come on the podcast but also you have a background in law which i'm hoping is is helpful because i'm probably going to ask you a couple questions that are completely out of left field and have nothing to do with what you do for a living and and (laughs) i'll do my best i'll do my best yes um i am a lawyer in denver um and i i work mainly in uh, child welfare and adoption and so nothing in this movie really applies to what I do. But um, yeah, I mean, throw them at me. We'll see. Oh, I already have a question for you tucked <laughs> away. Um, but let's get into like the broad strokes of what this movie is. It's um, a movie about a pair of twin sisters who are played by the same actress, Margaret Ann Florence. Um, their names are Elizabeth and Callie. I thought Margaret and Florence did a really good job of playing both sisters. Um, they did have sort of unique personalities, um, you know, unique to themselves, not unique in like the greater scheme of the world. And, um, you know, she did a pretty good job with it. I felt like even the way she like sort of carried herself and like the softness in her face when she played Callie versus uh, Liz. I thought that was like, you know, she did a pretty yeah. good job. Watch I, out I, thought she, I thought she was great. Um I had I don't know her from anything else, I don't think. No, I think we tried to dig into her IMDB last time when we were on yeah. the thing together before. She does seem like she works quite a bit starting in like 2006. Um, and she has a couple things in post right now. It seems like she is into the lifetime things um, right I now. Mean, she just did something her. called Cleared I Yeah, would it's a great day. Watch her on Lifetime again. She was good. 
she seems like she might have like a comedy background too. Like she, I, I wonder if she knows people through like the comedy scene or something. Cause she definitely did like nurse Jackie, 30 rock inside Amy Schumer. Like I, probably she's, she's a singer. She was, um, I read it on her page that she, uh, Let's see. She received a master's in music theater performance. So she is a music classical voice um, student or I don't know. Maybe that (laughs) informs, you know, Lizzie's passion for music um, because we do know she loves music. Yeah. yeah, they love music. Um, so, <laughs> she, um, so basically, these sisters have like a lifelong thing. That's all. This is really all you need to know going into it. These twin sisters have a lifelong thing where they swap roles, and it starts from as early as the first scene when we meet them to sort of establish that they can seamlessly swap places it's their party trick they do it all the time for good reasons for bad reasons um and the only person who can tell the two of them apart is their aunt rose who has been raising them since their parents died in a car accident and um you know their whole lives were sort of this the the foundation of their lives was not just being twins who could switch places but that their parents died and that's Kind of really all you need to know about these two. Right. I have a specific question for you because this first scene was really um, fun for me. Okay. (laughs) And I I don't, I know we probably can't get into too much detail, but um, I know you were a swimmer. I was a swimmer. And so we open up at the Jefferson High Natatorium and we learn that these girls are in the four by 100 meter um freestyle uh relay and yeah. i guess it's like a state championship or something um and this is the first like thing that we see because lizzie swims both her leg of the relay and Callie's, Callie's leg. yeah Callie's <laughs> supposed to <laughs> Callie's supposed to be the closer and when Lizzie gets out of the pool, she they do this little like swaparoo and Lizzie swims uh, the next leg as well. And as a former swimmer, I yeah. cannot imagine swimming two legs of the 100 meter relay and that kind of. And, and I like, no way going second and then being the closer. Yeah, like, that, that was so insane to me. Like, I mean, and I swam, I, I begrudgingly swam the 200 meter free um, quite a bit, which I, I hated that length of race. But I agree. It's so non committal. It's really bad. Yeah. Um, it's like too long for a full sprint, but it's, you know, it, it's That's why I wound up doing the 500 because I was like, fuck it. Like, yeah. if I'm going to have to be in the pool, like, I'll just be good at being in the pool. Yeah. But I wasn't fast enough to be like, you know, 50 or 100. Like, I was just not like a speed swimmer. So I was like, fine, I'll go low, like long and slow. Like, who cares? <laughs> uh, but 200 was like sort of the one you got stuck with when you were like at I my school anyway, if you were it. just okay. And like, it was it was the most painful because it was like, you know, double the super fast race. Right. And, like, just seemed to go on forever. And oh, it was yeah. one of those races too that like, if you got 
a bad start, it was going to be, it's really hard to earn it back. Absolutely. Yeah. It's too long to, to earn it back. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, that being said, like the hundred, they are like straight up sprinting and to have to jump back in the pool, like Lizzie must be just an amazing swimmer. I, I was really thrown by that switch. <laughs> I wish almost like in like for the sake of this movie, I wish that they had given Callie that role of being the one who swam both. And then like Lizzie being, you know, like I feel like they gave. OK, so basically when this movie starts, we see the two twins do the switcheroo. They wind up winning the whole thing. Um, and then the twins get out of the pool. Aunt Rose saw this, but she's not going to say anything. And then Aunt Rose comes down from the bleachers, you know, God bless her heart. I feel like very attached to her for some reason. No, I love her and too. She, you know, they, she congratulates them on winning. And then Lizzie decides that, let me get, see if I get this right. Lizzie decides to go hit on the guy that Callie likes. Uh, so backwards. Callie, okay. Callie okay. is the one who is better with boys. Um, and we see that come back like later, um, in her kind of wanting to get out and go like, you know, she needs her moment. Yeah. Like she just, she's more outgoing, I guess in that way. Um, but so in order to pay back her sister for cheating at swimming, she goes (laughs) up, (laughs) she goes up to Ricky Davis, who she knows Lizzie likes. And Ricky Davis is on the diving board about to jump into the pool and all of the lanes are still out. Yeah. He does this ridiculous, like, it's not a dive. It's not even, I don't even think it's like a cannonball or anything. He just like jumps in the water. Yeah. He does a little (laughs) twirly with his body, but like the thing that like, also that would be so like illegal. Like that would be so against the rules. Like (laughs) I I have to be honest, like hearing you talk about swimming, you're bringing back a lot of like vocabulary for me that I've forgotten because I'm just like, I don't know. I think I black things out every six years or something. So like that stuff (laughs) is all really gone from my brain brain but you're like that would have been completely illegal like that would have been probably not, i mean not actually against the law but like <laughs> ricky probably would have been suspended if that happened yeah you can't jump into like the pool with those lanes during what is apparently a huge championship i mean like, i i guess finals or something yeah i mean that i don't know that was just that was crazy to me but um Maybe just me. So <laughs> we see that present day Liz is a very hardworking woman in the big city. Um, when she comes home, she tells Alexa to put on some samba music for her and she drinks wine after work. Um, very, you know, single successful girl, but oh, like, you know, she has all this stuff, but she's so lonely. Yeah. She's carrying like 30 shopping bags after work. Like, you know, she's got um, the giant, they're the tall, uh, stilettos and she comes into this gigantic apartment a gorgeous it apartment. is so pretty and i actually looked up this apartment because um the, the actual address of it is like on the side of the building yeah <laughs> and god bless you for that it is actually for sale um <gasps> how much is it? 
<laughs> Do you want to guess how much it is? But I will tell you this. It is there. Is it two, in Atlanta? It's in Atlanta. There's two properties. Um, so there's like two, uh, two units, I guess, that they're selling together. And um, yeah, they're not, they're not breaking it up. So I can't tell you how much that apartment specifically is, but. Without knowing anything about Atlanta real estate, I'm going to guess like 1.5. All right. It is uh, 2.35. Jesus Christ. Yeah, (laughs) it was. I mean, it was there was also probably a lot to it that we didn't get to see. Yeah, but it is gorgeous. And it's in downtown uh, Atlanta. Um, It's got a very high or pretty high like walkability score. So that's good. Um, <laughs> right, should we all chip in, guys? Uh, yeah, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> let's, let's have like, like an annual in. nacho ex- expert like retreat in Atlanta, uh, <laughs> and we'll rent it out as an Airbnb throughout the year as perfect. passive income. That's perfect. Um, uh, but yeah, like her her apartment is absolutely gorgeous in a way that almost like it's like come on, like no single woman like does all this, you know, right. like not like no single man should either. Like this is an insane amount of space for one person (laughs) and i do have a lot of questions throughout this movie about like how large is liz's money like where does it begin where does it end because the way that they talk about her life and what she's going to be able to do with her life you know given that so much stuff becomes compromised Mm -hmm. i I know that she works in investments, but like she has to have millions of dollars invested to live the life that she thinks she's going to continue to live. Throughout she, this whole she throws money at whatever. I mean, it, it seems to me, and this is, well, actually I'll, I'm going to save this comment, I think, because it will make more sense later. But yeah, she, she seems to, um, I mean, she must have like endless amounts of money for a 30 year old i will say this movie is a nice reminder to be good with your money you know you never you never know what's gonna happen (laughs) so um we see that callie is like very you know sort of type b and passive at this point in her life also like she's chosen a completely different life path they facetime and her sister's cooking aunt rose's you know mac and cheese and they're very like she's just very bored of her life and her husband Grady comes in and he basically is trying to pitch Lizzie on the idea of you know give, doing a little life swap like how about we come live a little bit of your life for a minute and you know we'll give we'll make you Rose's meatloaf for it like they <laughs> live a very small time very small town life they get just- so jealous that um Lizzie's going to the Hawks Cavs game with a client that night. So they're like, we'll totally switch meatloaf for, <laughs> for like, Hawks tickets. Both of these types of people are terrible with like Callie being, you know, much less terrible, but like, you know, but like Lizzie's argument is like, you have no idea like how much of my life I've sacrificed to be able to go to a Hawks game with this guy. Like, I don't have kids. I live alone. I all I do is work. Um, And, you know, 
on their side of it, they just, you know, they have their kids in their in their house. And I would say that they're like lower middle class. I think that's what they're trying to get across to us. Is yeah, that- we kind of see throughout the movie that that money is a little bit of an issue for them. Like it's not so much an issue that, you know, the story revolves around it or anything like that. But I think it's something that definitely adds a little tension to the relationship between um, Callie and Grady. Oh, I um, think they're constantly sort of referencing it throughout, especially yeah. in the part. It seems like a lot of references to, I mean, but it I doesn't, mean, but not to the extent that like, you know, they're like, we're going to lose the house or we're going to do the, it's yeah. just like, I'm picking up an extra shift. We need the money. Like, you know, it's not so, Things, or at least we're not presented with the picture that things are so dire. Um, but it's definitely a, it's definitely something that they struggle with a little. At the same time, though, I want to argue that I feel like they're the type of people that would never let on that they were having a hard time with money. Grady would just silently sell his truck. Yeah, that's probably that's a good that's a good call. Yeah, um, but Lizzie, like, or sorry, Callie, right away is we can tell she's a little bit resentful of her place in life. I mean, Lizzie says something to her on this in this first conversation. She's like, "Oh, you're such a good mom," and Callie's like, "Don't call me mom," and just like it just comes off as. Um, <sighs> I don't know. I mean, resentful is probably the best word. She's not like mean about it, but it's just like, oh, okay. There's, there's definitely some regret here. Yeah. I mean, that's Callie's set of like personality issues is like hers is, you know, neither of these sisters are painted as perfect, which I sort of appreciated because you were never like, oh, it should have been her. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, Callie's definitely over her life. Um, she like is clearly one foot out, one foot in the door, one foot out with Grady and like, you know, kind of wants to strangle her kids all the time. Um, I feel like that part of it was very understandable and realistic. Um, but Lizzie's it, well, but like their issues are equally unlikable at their core, but one is more understandable than the other. If that yes, makes sense. I absolutely agree. And, you know, we'll get to the part a little later where they have, in my notes, I wrote the most frustrating uh, argument of all time. I think. Oh, I think I, I think I know the one that's coming up. Um, yeah. So they're meeting for their like sister's birthday weekend at their aunt Rose's cottage. Wait, 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 and can we, can we? Sorry to interrupt, but we've got yeah. we've got to um, show that Lizzie goes into her office and. Um, Oh no, we haven't gotten there yet. Oh, we but haven't. We, uh, this is yeah. We're, I'm just establishing what they talked about in that phone call. Oh, it was got basically it, got just it. like we, yes, yeah. Like we know that you know that this is all about the big the sisters weekend. So then, she, yeah, she goes into work to see her partner Jackson, and he just gotten into a fight with this guy that's investing with him, and his office is like basically torn apart. This guy's meltdown is absolutely amazing. We learned that that's. Dylan Finch. And as Lizzie's coming into the office, he's literally like got a finger in Jackson's face. And then as he's walking away, he takes a giant pile of papers and like throws them up. So they go everywhere. It's not even like he's pissed and just like throws them on the ground. He makes 
I, I don't know. It's like this. He has like a tantrum, like a yeah. toddler tantrum. <laughs> this shot should be a gif for like, you know, like adults at their worst. I don't know. It's it was hilarious. Uh, I think that, you know, I, I, while I think that that's completely unrealistic that something like that would happen, I do feel like when there's a downfall of a big person, like a Harvey Weinstein type, for example, all these stories come out about them having meltdowns or like being like terrible people and these rare examples like Harvey Weinstein rolling on the floor of a theater because he didn't have the M&Ms he wanted. Those are stories that come out later and it's fascinating. Um, and this, and this feels like a version of that sort of, it feels like the sort of thing that would come out years later. Like, oh my God, did you hear about that epic meltdown someone had in so-and-so's office? Does that make sense? <laughs> yes. Like, like I'm sure this has happened uh, once or twice before. Um, it's just unbelievable. But yeah, so it's, it's this epic meltdown. And right away, you sort of get the sense that Lizzie and Jackson, they call themselves partners. And I believe they are work partners. But later on, it will take a turn where it feels like they're talking about maybe life partners as well. Yeah. So this is one of the most confusing relationships ever portrayed in a movie, I think. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, Lizzie comes in and first of all, he asks her what she's doing at the office. She hands him a, a Starbucks cup and she says 2000 calories in a paper cup, which begs the question, what the fuck is he drinking? Um, I know. Well, I think honestly, it's just sort of like business douchebag for like, I guess who can drink these like. You know, it's like sort of that thing where it's like, yeah, I'm having a caramel macchiato and I'm just going to beat myself up for it. Or like, most, there's plenty of like, you know, hot single corporate people who are like, I wouldn't waste my calories on a macchiato. Like, I think that that it's I think it's that attitude. Yeah. But um, so he's like, what are you doing here? I thought you were leaving for the weekend. And she doesn't actually really have an answer if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, no, they just she hands him coffee and then they just flirt like incredibly inappropriate, I think, for for the office. Like he basically invites himself to the lake for the weekend. And then he starts talking about when she doesn't respond, he's like, oh, we could just maybe we'll go to Miami instead or or Vegas or something like, I don't, it's just, it's so weird. <laughs> and well, then here's my thought, right? Okay, go. Like these sort of feelings don't just like sneak up on you. Like either you guys have always been subtly attracted to each other, but like your business partners in a big financial investment firm where you guys have clearly been there for a while and made a name for yourselves. And like, when did these feelings start? Like, after, you know, one night you were up late eating Chinese food, like, working on a big deal, and, like, all of a sudden things got a little flirty. Like, I just sort of don't believe that these people would be partners in business and no sort of tension would have been brought up between them earlier. Like, they're just discovering this now. I think that that's what's a little bit weird about it to me. Yeah, I mean, I I got... I got the feeling that it had been building a little bit because I think um, Callie asks, you know, how are things with Jackson or like what's new with that? So I think 
it it sounds like there's been some some building up to this but in this office scene they're acting like they've been fucking for three months and are just like head over heels for one another Well, like yeah that's kind of what i'm saying is like if your business partners with someone you are like their best friend like whether or not you're actually friends like you are with them so much that they might as well be like your best friend and i don't know if i'm just like very simple about the way i sort of approach things but i would have probably figured out very soon into working with this person whether or not i was going to be attracted to them slash, you know, maybe violate some boundaries to make something happen. And it just feels strange that they built this entire business. And now, <laughs> just now, are they like starting to explore the idea that there might be something there romantically? Right. But, um, he gave her a, a Tiffany box for her birthday. And he, you know, asked her if she's going to open it. And she says that she's going to wait. Um, at the time, you really don't know what the point of her waiting for this is. But um, Callie's husband and kids have, like, planned a very, like, humble birthday cake celebration for her. So while Lizzie's at work getting her Tiffany bracelet, um, her husband and kids have, like, baked a funfetti cake. And um, they're having, like, a cute little moment. And then Grady um, asks if he can come as well. So I think that that's also another reason why they had him sort of insert himself and say, like, yeah. maybe I should come. There's because, a like, parallel. Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing could have been different if just one of them had said yes. Right. Um, so he suggests, um, that he could go there and, and, you know, and they she says, no, and he's like, well, yeah, why don't, why doesn't everyone come to us? I'll splurge for, for some shrimp on the grill. It's and that like kind of really pulled at my heartstrings, just not just because I, I love shrimp, but also just cause I was like, oh, they're splurging. Like that's like, no, fucking- it was so sweet. And that actually kind of comes back at the end to that line. Yeah. Um, and I have to say. Um, I think Grady is so hot in this scene. <laughs> like he's just yeah. like the cutest, like husband and dad. I I want to marry Grady in this scene. He uh, reminds me a little bit of like Aiden. Uh, oh, the city. Like, yeah, like all oh, of I, the good parts about Aiden. I think he's more attractive than Aiden, but oh. um. I think I'm never attracted to any of these men. If I'm being honest, well, I gotta say he goes back and forth for me throughout the movie, but in this scene, I just found him like so sweet and it was really attractive. And he's got his 404 shirt on. He's repping Atlanta. Um, yeah, he's just, and he like, he just really, really, really wants to make Callie happy. Yeah. And he's doing, you know, he's doing the best he can with what he's getting because, you know, we'll learn more about this throughout. At at this time, we're just as clueless as anyone. But, you know, they've been very distant recently. And um, that's been that's been incredibly tough on them, partially because Callie, you know, sort of has her mind in the clouds a little bit um, and is confused about what she wants. So um, he gives her a little box. It's just a little white jewelry box as opposed to the big Tiffany's thing. And it's a like pretty little silver bracelet. And she starts crying right away. And she says, you know, it's not the gift. I'm just like emotional. Um, and he says, you know, before before you go, like, 
I just like, I need you to know that when you come back, like I, you got to let me know if you're going to make this work. Um, they've been disconnected for a while and the bracelet just, I don't know. Like I thought they did a really good job with the bracelet, if that makes sense, because it didn't look cheap and it didn't look expensive and it wasn't ugly. And it was, it was just like the perfect sort of. Yeah, I agree. It was simple. It was something that you would wear every day. It had like a little charm on it or an initial or something for each of their kids. And yeah, it was really, it was a cute, it was a very sweet gift. Yeah. Cause like those kind of things can go bad real quick. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> some of the, some of the craziest looking jewelry out there is like for moms who are dedicated to their children. Like it's just, <laughs> it's some of, that's some of the ugliest shit that's out there. So it was really, it was really kind of like good job. I will say to the wardrobe department on that one for yeah. figuring that out. Agreed. Um, but yeah, so Lizzie is there early. Um, but she's pretending to be Callie and Aunt Rose is, you know, Aunt Rose is onto her a little bit, but the only thing Aunt Rose really has going for her is that she can put hot sauce into the mix because Lizzie cannot handle hot sauce at all. Um, so she pours some hot sauce onto the salsa and she's like, Oh, it's, you know, shouldn't be a big deal because Lizzie's not here. And we all know Lizzie can't eat spicy food. Um, and then, you know, Callie rolls up and it's revealed that, haha, she was trying to pull a fast one on Aunt Rose. Apparently, this whole joke ties back to sometime um, in their teen years when Lizzie shot her pants on the 4th of July. And this is like stuck with her for a lifetime. It's like the most humiliating thing in the world for her. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Callie, Callie says, I don't know which explosion was louder, the fireworks or Lizzie. <laughs> Which I mean, is so like, mean. It is mean. It's oh, not only is it mean. It's like who talks like that? I like, know. <laughs> like it sounds. It sounds written. Um. But yeah. So the kids get this. The kids. The sisters get drunk in the cabin uh, that night. And they're both really having the time of their lives. I think this might be the argument you're talking about. Yeah. Eleven forty three to thirteen forty seven. Where's the wine opener? Check the second drawer. Wow, when did you start roasting chicken? As soon as Costco started roasting it for me. I confess, I would have been happy with just some mac and cheese. Ooh, tired of your Michelin star diet? Not the same as a home cooking oh, meal. the blue box. Who's that from? A friend. Jackson? No way. Open it. <gasps> oh, wow. That is quite an expensive gift. Well, how are you going to show your appreciation? I'm not sure what he wants. Oh, I know what he wants. Just because I'm trapped in Fayetteville, Georgia, doesn't mean I don't know the ways of the world. Oh, I'd hardly call your life trapped. Mom and Dad would be so proud of you both. Really, I'm a housewife. And I'm single and can't keep a houseplant alive. Which definitely speaks failure. 
You are a dedicated wife and mother with a wonderful husband and two wonderful kids. Who I really love, but I always thought I'd be the one hobnobbing with Atlanta who's who. My life would be more exciting, like Lizzie's. Oh, by exciting you mean the nauseous pit of regret staring at the stream of Tinder losers in your bed? Who got your moto revving the night before? Oh, poor you, Lizzie. The agony of $200 expense meals at four-star restaurants. With mind-numbing bores who make half-ass drunk passes at you, pretending to giggle it away for the sake of the account while fantasizing stabbing your salad fork in their eye. Oh, pity you. With a closet full of designer clothes, Chanel bags, and Louboutins? Oh, you've got me there, but not Luby's Manolos. And don't forget my fabulous pedicure. Enough of this bickering before it's pistols at dawn. Now, let's eat. I hate that the whole idea of like, my life is worse. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, just- it's especially dark because these women are 30. And like, if by the age of 30, you haven't figured out that the grass is never really greener. Right. Um, you're fucking nuts. Like, I, you know, I don't want to say I'm some sort of fucking hero, but like, I would literally not live anyone else's life but mine. Like, I could never. I like, I know too much, you know, about how everyone has their own struggles. I've seen super wealthy, famous, successful people like really struggle. I've seen, you know, pure struggle people who I would think, you know, oh, like their life must be hell, but like they're happy and dealing with their stuff in in a different way than I am. But I also wouldn't want their problems either, you know? So yeah, absolutely. And it's just also so sad that these two sisters who are twins, they're basically bookends of each other. Like they literally cannot sense what's so wrong with the other person's life where I feel like I would be probably more in tune to what's wrong with someone's life and what's troubling them than what's so great about their life. Right. Especially, you know, because they're so close, I feel like they're, (laughs) they should be more in tune than, you know, the average friend or average sister or whatever. I don't know. You know, I feel like my cousin and I argue a lot even though like we love each other so much. And sometimes I feel it's a little bit like, let's just do it for old time sakes. Like just for old time sakes, like let's just fucking call each other psychopaths and, and say, we're not talking for the rest of the day. And then two hours later, like want to go smoke a joint together and braid each other's hair. Like I didn't have a sister, so I, I don't know, but I think, I mean, I, you, you might, I, do you have a sister? I do. I have a younger sister. I mean, I don't know. I have to say from I, what I've heard as an only child about sister culture is that it's very toxic at times. Yeah. I mean, I I will preface this. I love my sister. Um, she and I did not grow up being super, super close because we are so different. Um, and I mean, we were close in that like we shared a room for most of our life, you know, until we were teenagers, but, um, yeah, we were, we've just always been very different. So I, I love my sister dearly, but I don't have that same, like, I don't know, love her, hate her, you know, hot, cold relationship that I think you do when you're, um, 
close like these two are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think the close in age is also, that's a huge factor. Yeah. Uh, If it's like a year or two, then I feel like you just kind of grow up almost like the closest of worst enemies at school you know (laughs) yeah um but yeah so the girls go through their box of memories by the fire with rose um and we should i should add by the way that the gift that jackson gave lizzie was a very expensive um i think it was like i i wouldn't call it a tennis bracelet but it was something similar i'm sure it was something very specific and expensive um but yeah, so they go through their box of memories by the fire with Rose and they pull out their championship medals. And she says, you know, she this is the first time on their 30th birthday. She's going to give them the gift of knowing that they cheated. Um, but it made her proud anyways, because it was showing that they were always going to be there for each other. Um, and she encourages them to put the competition behind them and just be happy with who they are. Um in the middle of the night, Callie wakes up and basically starts begging Lizzie to switch lives with her. Um, she says it in a way that it almost seemed like a seed or an idea that had been planted earlier. And I guess I missed that. And it yeah, might have been. I think that w- I think we were supposed to understand that they had talked about that. Callie had maybe come up with this before and asked Lizzie about it. Um, cause I think Lizzie's like, Hey, we really need to talk about this plan of yours. <laughs> like, I yeah, think we need I to reconsider. <laughs> wondered if I missed it, if that was what was being said during dinner. Cause it was so talky and like, it was so, um, just like two people sort of like talking at each other, like going tit for tat a little bit, but mostly just like vomiting onto each other. So I was wondering if I had missed it in there, but she wakes up and she's like, we need to do it. We have to like do the plan. We should absolutely switch lives. Um, and at this point, Lizzie pulls out a weed pen um, and they both hit it, which I thought was now that I realized it was in Atlanta. I'm like, Jesus Christ, Lizzie, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing traveling around in your car with that thing? Like you could get serious. I know. I know. Um, and I thought it was really hilarious that oh actually i'm getting ahead of myself never mind okay so with the weed pen (laughs) yeah so kelly says um you know she doesn't know how she was like how she would move forward without mixing things up for a minute she got a little too close to another guy um but she doesn't want to be with him and where she is right now there's just basically no room for her to breathe like she just needs a break so that she can go back to her world but she can't like have the break she needs within her own world because she's got the kids she's got Grady she kind of wants to like keep from Grady the fact that she's a little bit over it and kind of moving in a different direction in her life which I feel like is probably a good thing to keep from your husband yeah so she does say to Lizzie, you know, I love Grady and I love the kids. I'm just so bored. So it's not, you know, she does kind of have that foundation of love for them, but she (laughs) actually, this brings me to the very best quote, I think from the whole movie, maybe Um, Callie says, What's wrong with my life? I'm 30 years old living four blocks from the Dairy Queen where we were born. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's really bleak. Honestly, when she puts it that way, I'm like, Lizzie, come on. You got to do it for her, dude. <laughs> also, what twins were born at Dairy Queen? This, that was an exciting day down there. 
I guess, yeah, grammatically speaking, that does sound like they were born a Dairy Queen. I literally put on the closed captioning because I was like, I misheard that. I definitely misheard that. Like she said something else. No. They yeah, they were born at Dairy Queen, according to that. Valley. Was yeah, maybe the old hospital is now a Dairy Queen. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know, um, but yeah. So the girls, uh, you know, sort of agree to do this. They come down in the morning with their bags packed, and um, Rose makes a joke about how she didn't know if this morning they would want like cereal or Doritos based on last night. So I guess Aunt Rose did s- smell them selling smelling weed. Yeah, I had a question. I mean. I don't know. I thought it was pretty um, out there that Aunt Rose would have would have smelled that in the middle of the night from a pen. Yeah, I mean, not to expose ourselves as potheads, (laughs) but I mean, I definitely know my way around a vape and like the whole bonus of them is that they don't smell at all. Um, That's a fun test, by the way, just to ask someone if they mind if you like smoke something vapor around them, because if they say yes, like they're literally just trying to control you because it has no effect on their life, whether or not you smoke. Um, I I don't know. I, I kind of disagree to a certain extent, only because there was a guy that I sat next to in um, a couple of my classes in law school who would pretend he was chewing on a pen but he was smoking and it drove me fucking crazy because we were i mean we were sitting pretty close to each other but so there is like some smell but not not enough to where if you're not right there you would be smelling it and aunt rose was was not right there or was he was he jeweling in class or was he smoking weed i have no idea I think he was uh, probably. I think it was probably a jewel. But honestly, I don't think I could go to college now if I couldn't jewel. Like really? I, I am so thoughtless with my jewel. I will jewel fucking anywhere. Like I've jeweled at the chiropractor before. I've jeweled in a meeting before. Like I just can't. It's like a part of my body. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, like awful. I mean, like, um, but it's yeah. a little more. It's more acceptable for sure. But I don't know. I think, and I also love to rock an attitude of like, well, if you don't like that, I'm jeweling. Like, I guess you know, you and I aren't gonna. It's not gonna work between us. <laughs> yeah. If I'm being totally honest, I think part of my hatred toward that habit of his was my hatred toward that person. So. You know, it definitely compounds things, especially like in a classroom setting for sure. And jewels have that little like noise they make. Um, that's very, I'm sure if like you have misophonia or anything, that would like drive me up, throw me off a ledge for sure. Um, so they meet up down the road, um, from Aunt Rose's house and they decide, okay, we're going to do it. They switch their jackets. Um, Callie tells Lizzie that her husband won't try anything because they don't even sleep together anymore. And he watches History Channel on the couch um, until he falls asleep. And Lizzie takes her ring um, and they get into each other's cars. And like, just, you know, the cars are another great way to show the differences in their lives. Like, you know, Callie speeds off in Lizzie's sports car. And, you know, Lizzie has to get into Callie's sort of like beater car that's full of kid shit. And it has like a a seat that when she like tries to recline a little bit, it goes all the way back. 
It's very, um, probably was a very humbling and grounding moment for Lizzie <laughs> character to realize like, oh shit, my sister really does have her challenges in life. Yes. So real quick, one, so they remembered to like switch phones and switch rings and everything. The one thing that they did not remember to switch are their birthday present bracelets. Uh-huh. So... There's so that. Callie gets to Lizzie's apartment and she's dancing around and there's a cheese plate waiting out for her with a note that says restaurant opening party, Okinawa, 7.30 PM. Love E. P.S. Go look in my closet. XOXO. Like who left the fucking cheese plate out? <laughs> Such a good question. Like, I'm so confused about this. Like, we were just with Lizzie on the side of the road. She's driving your house, Callie. Like, when did this, like, did she call to, like, a concierge service and ask them to, like, lay out a lovely spread for her sister with a note as well as a dress in her closet that she picked out? Um, it's so, I, it, it's one of the most confusing parts of the movie for me and also really sort of fucks with my perception of how close or far they live apart. <clears throat> so I assume they live like an hour or so apart. I uh, I googled Fayetteville from Atlanta, and it's about thirty minutes. I did not Google like to that exact address, but um, I don't know. I actually this was one of the things that I forgot about this movie from the first time around because I actually grew up in Atlanta. Um, but I was noticing your fondness towards it, but I, I didn't know to ask. I wasn't like sure what to ask because like, I kind of know roughly a little bit about your recent history. So you grew up in Atlanta. So I, that's where the love is coming from. Yeah. I, well, you know, I, I always say that I like being from Atlanta. Like it was a I had a great childhood and all that. Like growing up there was fine. I'm so happy to not live there anymore. Um, and I moved away right after college. So, um, you know, Atlanta's got some cool things going for it right now. Obviously the entire state of Georgia is maybe one of the worst, (laughs) um, politically, but you know, I, I don't know. Um, there are good people from every part of the country and that's why I don't believe writing off any state it's like true. I strongly believe in that um because like yeah just because like there's some vocal assholes and like a lot of people vote like morons I mean there's obviously good people everywhere too and like I think there's a lot of innocent people <laughs> mixed up in there too like a lot of people who really just are trying to live their lives you know and they're not really thinking too much about the things that most of us think about, you know? Definitely. Definitely. But yeah, so to answer your question, uh, Fayetteville is like 30-ish minutes south of the city of Atlanta. I could not figure out where Aunt Rose's cabin was supposed to be in relation to that. Um, there's only one point in the movie where they use, or at least that I that I caught, that they use like the name of the lake. And I couldn't find that lake existing in that area so uh i don't know about that but i was kind of under the impression that aunt rose lived near fayetteville or in fayetteville as well yeah um yeah i think yeah because she seems to live really close to callie and everyone yeah um but when callie goes into lizzie's closet she's like nope fuck the black dress i'm going gold tonight um 
And right when Lizzie gets into the house um, at Callie's, she, you know, kind of looks at a family photo and then the kids come running right up. And the way that she says hi to them is like very distinctly. If that's how you greet kids, the kids are going to know. And right away, they're like, that's what Aunt Lizzie does. Um <laughs> So, you know, you said this on the previous um, when we were talking about just sort of your favorite Lifetime movies, that one of the things that struck you as so strange about this movie is that not even her kids could really tell that it wasn't their mom. And I feel like animals and kids would probably be the first to know Mm -hmm. um, if their owner wasn't really their owner um, or their mom. Um, But yeah, the kids, like while they seem to have suspicions, they don't really seem to clock right away that that's not their mom and they never actually really clock it that great um so she comes home with a ton of like expensive presents presents for each of them that are just like you know big holiday presents and grady right away is like what the fuck is going on and she's like oh you know it's some money i had tucked away for christmas and He's like, well, yeah, but then what are we going to do about Christmas? And like, this is Lizzie sort of realizing the financial diet over at that house versus hers because she didn't, she didn't even think that this would be difficult to get away with. Right. Um, so she, she then changes her lie to say that Lizzie gave her a gift card for her birthday and she spent it on her family. And then that's when the bracelets come up and um, Grady spots it. And she says that Lizzie loved her bracelet so much that she begged to borrow it. So we're supposed to believe that Lizzie was like, here, take my Tiffany's bracelet. I really want to wear this sentimental gift from your husband to you about your kids. (laughs) She said apparently that it made her feel like a part of the family and they traded it just for the weekend so then jessica the babysitter gets there and lizzie's like who's jessica and grady's like it's our babysitter i called her up because like i picked up an extra shift and you know he can tell lizzie does have like a she lives on a different frequency than callie in a certain way where she just is more energetic and outgoing and he can tell her energy is different, but to him, he's seeing like, oh, she's in a really good mood, right. um, you know, and, and that's that's actually really sad when you think about it, is that the really the only difference between Lizzie and Callie is a good mood. Um, but <laughs> like he's, she's like, you know, oh, go to work anyway. I'll stay in with the kids. And he's like, well, I could cancel work because he wants to hang out with her. He's like, who the fuck is this fun bitch? Like, I haven't seen her in a while. <laughs> and um, she's like, no, 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 go to work. And, you know, we also have to remember that the physical boundaries of this are so strange. Like even just sitting on his knee for a, a second, like if that was your sibling significant other, like that is fucking weird. Like yeah. even in a family where it's close, like y'all have to kind of really like quote unquote be like that in order for this to not feel weird. And I can only imagine <laughs> it's just and it's you rough. Can tell how hesitant she is. Like she's trying to maintain her space, but that gives so much more away, I think, than anything else yeah Um, it definitely is because she you know even like the most bored wife will like give her husband a hug and a kiss you know right and i also have to say just as a former babysitter and nanny i would have been so pissed if i was jessica and like showed up on saturday night expecting to make my like 40 or 50 bucks or whatever and she's just like nope i got it see ya (laughs) 
Like, oh. God, babysitting money, dude. Yeah. So I was fucking rich with babysitting money right? when I was growing up. I should have saved it. I really, I think I could probably still be living on my babysitting money if I invested <laughs> it. So the kids say that she smells like Aunt Lizzie when she's putting them to bed. And she's like, well, it's because I'm wearing her perfume. Um, and then she starts getting this, you know, cell phone call from her sister. Lizzie's at the club. She is dance or she um, Sally's at the club. from the club in downtown Atlanta. Yeah. Because, like, you know, don't get it twisted. Like, while Callie is, like, you know, kind of quick to assimilate in a lot of ways, she's, like, dancing with some random guy. She's drinking. She's feeling herself in her dress. Like, she also is the loser that FaceTimes on the floor of like, a <laughs> middle of dance. Imagine anything more frustrating than if I FaceTimed you when I was at a club. And I'm like, hey, hey, how's everything? No, no, that's like, that's, I would expect that from like someone who just like went to college and it's like their first week getting drunk like, <laughs> from like a fucking grown ass woman. But you know, maybe that is Callie's deal. Maybe Callie never had any of those experiences and she's just unfortunately like taking it out on her sister at age 30. Um, but yeah, so they're, they're talking on FaceTime and she says that Jackson is there with a girl and Lizzie's like, oh, just ignore him. Um, but she's like, no, don't worry about it. I'm going to like, I'm going to go find out who it is. Um, here's where so, we see Callie being assertive with men again. Like this is Ricky Davis take two. Totally. Um, and it turns out that, you know, this girl is nothing to worry about. Apparently it's just Daisy from or Darcy from accounting. Um, Jackson invites her to a basketball game with him and she's really aloof about it. Um, and he notices that she's not wearing the present that he got her. And she says that she's waiting until her actual birthday to open it up. Um, this is where I'm wondering when the fuck their actual birthday is. <laughs> yeah. Cause we did cakes. We did like, we've done lots of celebrating for these two. And they're that girl, you know? Yeah. yeah it's their <laughs> birthday week. <laughs> yeah. So um, he invites her to the basketball game, um, blah, 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 blah. So she wakes up naked the next morning in Lizzie's bed. And yes, I think we're all wondering what happened, but they apparently are just naked sleepers. So uh, I noted this as well, and I fully support sleeping naked, but I would never do this in my sibling's bed. <laughs> I, yeah, I can't imagine I would either. The only defense I can give her is that it does seem like they had like almost a concierge service come in and like turn the house around for her. Like, yeah, there's and put a cheese plate out. <laughs> I think she's probably a religious sheet changer. So she probably is sleeping on a fresh pair of sheets. I mean, I agree. I agree that it's pretty bold. Uh, for <laughs> sure. I also just like have nightmares when I sleep naked. So, um, <laughs> that part of it's always shocking to me when I see it. But, um, Lizzie, who's, Role playing as Callie this week is naked too. Um, in the bathroom when they start FaceTiming, and Grady walks into the bathroom and she, like, you know, pulls herself away because she's horrified. She doesn't want him seeing her naked. Um, and he's like, I know it's been a while, but Jesus, it hasn't been that long. And he drops trowel like right there in front of her. And, um, all of this shock is be like able to be played off because he realizes that she's FaceTiming her sister. And so all of a sudden and he can throw up. literally just stripped like right in front of the phone screen. So, you know, Lizzie. No, that's his wife. Exactly. You know? 
<laughs> so, um, yeah, Callie says that she's going to the Hawks game with Jackson that day. And Lizzie really wants to end this whole thing. But Callie insists that they keep it up. And she hangs up on Lizzie after calling her a selfish, judgmental bitch. Right. Um, which is rough. Yeah. But- well, okay. So I thought a few things were interesting. One, Callie gets really preoccupied by the fact that Grady didn't want to like fuck her sister while naked in the bathroom. Um, and I, <laughs> I, I guess to give her the benefit of the doubt, I feel like this is, you know, like her fly on the wall moment of like, I'm seeing how my husband sees me, but I thought her reaction was really weird. <laughs> she was like, he didn't even try anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, well, it just shows that she's in a really selfish place. I think that that is also part partially there to illustrate that like one drive home that there's nothing there between them right now. And this is why she needs to do this. And two, it seems like Callie's in a very selfish headspace. And yeah. I think most people would agree that like, if you were to, look at some of the spoils and pleasures of Lizzie's life versus who actually has what at the end of the day. I think most people would choose Callie's life. Yeah, Um, I agree. Callie not being appreciative towards it is really like, I don't know. It kind of, it's, it's kind of sucks because in a minute, spoiler alert, Callie's going to fucking die. (laughs) And it just makes me feel bad because like, why did it have to be the one who was being an ungrateful brat in a weird right. way? The one that's like rebelling at age 30. Um, right. So but, she calls her so, sister a judgmental bitch for wanting to like live her own life and be her person. And this is, this is where, if this were my story, like this is where Kate as a twin calls the whole thing off. Jack or not Jackson, uh Grady comes out of the shower and I'm like, hey man, listen, that was weird and here's why. And I've got to drive up to Atlanta. I'll send Callie back. <laughs> like I'm telling you yeah. I'm going this is the moment where I'd be like, I'm done. You know, and I want to go on my date with Jackson. Sorry. Like Callie's like weirdly excited about going on a date with another man for being a married woman with children, I think. And she also like steps it up a little bit because as she's walking out of the house, she sees Jackson in his SUV across the street and she like comes out and they're talking on the phone, like while looking at each other, the way you do when you're running up to someone in a car. And she's like, so like, is this going to be our first date? And he's like, oh, it's a date. And she's like, yeah, I think it's a date. And like, they're, you know, she's really sort of like playing up this flirty thing. And then right as she starts to make her way across the street, she is comically murdered by a vehicle. She is hardcore run over. It is. It's like really a Regina George, like, <laughs> type thing where it's just like, Oh God, like I know getting hit by a car seems fast, but like that was just like almost too fast. Yes. Yeah. It's pretty abrupt. The car doesn't break at all. (laughs) (laughs) If anything goes faster when it sees her, which should have been our first indication that this was probably a setup. But um, (laughs) we see um, that Lizzie is asleep. She's drifted off to sleep um, on the porch at Callie's house. And when her sister's hit, she just intuitively wakes up. Like it's a, a just a wave that's washed over her where she's like, Ooh. oh, something's 
wrong. Yeah, I, I noted that too, but then the timing of it is really weird because two seconds later, Grady runs up with a phone and it's Aunt Rose yeah. telling Lizzie that Lizzie, uh, but really Callie, is dead. Yeah. And I I feel like that there's no way that, I don't know, the timing of it just didn't make sense. Like I would have, I feel like we could have used an inserted scene of Lizzie feeling it at a different moment. And yeah, or maybe just not have hinged so heavily on that cliche that like twins feel the other, you know what I mean? Right. But I mean, yeah, I, I, I do think like, I think you're right. It should have been an insert. I'm just not sure where it would have gone. You know, Um, that they wrote it. And then they do this scene of her, like, realizing that her sister is dead kind of it's just music so no you know sound from the actors yeah Yeah, slow-mo and um I feel like it started out okay it lost it and also I feel like this was such a missed moment for the lifetime cry um, I thought I thought she was doing her best. Like I thought this was her best version of a lifetime cry. The the one thing that I thought that she was also trying to negotiate was the slow realization she has that this is her new life and she has to figure out a way to break this to them yeah. or live live her life as a lie. Yeah. And that like came when the kids came for the hug. Like she's dealing with that. But then when the little kids put their arms on her and she knows she has this like massive secret and she cares so much for these little kids. Like, how do you move forward with that? How do you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was, I thought it was a both overly exaggerated and not enough. I think it was, I think you're right. I think it could have been a a good lifetime sob or it. I mean, in a, I see that. Yeah, I I think I can agree. And I think, um, and I think I already said this, but I think the beginning of the cry was really, really good. And then like, and what must, I'm sure they cut and like when the kids came in or whatever, they do this close up and her mascara is all smudged or whatever, but there's like no tears whatsoever. And like, she's just, and that I think is the moment of realization that you're talking about of like, oh shit. Like, how do I, how do I, you know, deal with this? (laughs) Yeah, it's like hard enough to live, you know, a life like of of just having lost someone, let alone someone whose life you are actively living for them. Right. It's a lot for her. So Aunt Rose comes over and as soon as she sees Lizzie, she knows it's her. I'm going to play that clip 3024 to 3105. You okay? Here, uh, let me get you some water. Oh, Elizabeth. What? My Callie. Lizzie, it's you. My God. Lizzie, what happened? Callie, she wanted a week away. What? Does Grady know you're you? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Those poor children. Those poor children. One of you girls done. Listen, you have to tell them. Oh.
I mean, let's be real. Like that house is very humble. Like there's no way Grady wouldn't have heard all of that. I was that was my big note on this. Like Aunt Rose wastes no time. Grady is literally still in the shot walking away when she's like, Elizabeth. Right. <laughs> I know. Screams her name. Those um, poor children. Like, how would she, <laughs> how would she possibly explain that? <laughs> it it is, yeah, Aunt Rose is throwing up red flags all over the place as loud as she can. Um, um so then we go to the funeral because um, like, you know, she doesn't tell them and she definitely doesn't tell them before the funeral or the graves are marked or anything like I felt like she had a window of a few days. I agree. I, if, I, if, it, if it was me, I would have picked up the phone and called Aunt Rose. I wouldn't have made her walk in on this and then deal with like a second grieving process. <laughs> yeah. Because she's like, oh shit, I already like have been dealing with you being dead. Now it's Callie who's dead and you're here. Like yeah. what a what a wave of emotion. Um, but when we get to the funeral, Jackson is giving a very loving speech about how amazing Lizzie was. And Lizzie is breaking down basically for all of the reasons. I will say that Lizzie in this scene, I do think more of it than they would like to admit is Lizzie being upset that Jackson is admitting, like finally saying like all of these wonderful things about her and she can't be with him. I think that he she literally is more- says that he was in love with her. Yeah. And like, you know, she's very flattered and <laughs> also stuck playing this role of her dead sister. Um, and, um, you know, he, she basically like can't bring herself to say anything at the funeral and almost gives it all away by starting her speech by like, you know, basically pointing to the casket and saying Callie. And then she like cuts herself off and just like dissolves in hysterics. And at that point, um, we start to notice that there's this like looming presence there as well. It's a man who no one at the funeral seems to know or notice, but we know was the guy from the office. It is um, Dylan. Um, really quickly, I just want, so when Lizzie breaks down, um, and can't speak, Grady swoops in and he starts talking. And I just wanted to point out that he says probably the single worst thing that I could imagine somebody saying at the funeral of one twin, like in the presence of the other twin, which is one does not exist without the other. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I'm like Grady. Dude. Like it I understand the I understand that there is a very uh you know very very close bond with twins and that a lot of times they are, you know, partners throughout life like that. But to put it in those particular words in this situation just seems so um (sighs) well it just it seems like he that's something that he was used to saying when they were alive and probably doesn't realize that it takes on a new meaning in death yes but it was that struck me so hard and i was like oh ouch you know um so what are you saying she's invisible but like yeah i'm i'm sure like there's a lot of um 
there's probably like two sides of this out there in the twin community because I feel like I've definitely heard twins that, you know, talk about how they're their own person and, you know, they don't want to be like just because they are their own whole person. Then I've also heard plenty of twins be like, yeah, basically like without her, I am not who I, you know, I wouldn't be myself if it wasn't for her. I feel like that's an like a oddly split thing in the twin community where people seem to feel one extreme or the other. Yeah, I had the same thought where, you know, growing up, if you knew twins, it was like they either like made it a point to be different somehow, um, or look different or whatever, or they really, really embraced the twin thing. Um, But in doing my in trying to research the true story of this movie, I did come across a lot of twin stories, you know, where one died or was killed or whatever, um, and how that affected the other twin. And they do say things like, you know, my life was one thing, one moment, and then the next moment it was so, it was completely different. Um, so I understand like the, what he was trying to say, I just (laughs) felt like it was so ineloquent in that moment, but also like, you know, people are grieving and he's grieving and, um, you also have to remember Grady's like a small town guy. You know what I mean? Like he may not be the most like worldly or know the dictionary, but like he speaks from his heart, you know? And I think that that was also a little bit of like the sentiment there. Right. Just sort of like how, you know, it was like, it was like the opposite version of what the kind of speech you'd give at a wedding. Like it was, it was like if if Grady was a wedding speaker, I think he'd do great. I don't think his forte is funerals. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's that's a pretty astute observation. Yeah, like it, the the sentiment was the sentiment was there though. I liked it, but I did too. Um, yeah. So. um you know, it's a very sincere moment. I think Lizzie is a bit tied up, though, the whole time with the idea that Jackson is in love with her. <laughs> um, after the funeral, Rose tells Lizzie that she needs to, you know, get like she needs to settle this. She needs to tell them everything. Um, but she says that she can't. Um, thirty four eighteen to thirty five thirty six. You have got to tell Grady the truth. And the more time you let go by, the harder it's going to be. Two thirty four p.m. 2.34 p.m. March 2nd, 1995. The exact minute, the exact second on the clock. Everything before that moment was one life and everything that followed was another. But in my mind, mom's face is always linked to the face of that goddamn bloodshot principal pulling me out of class to tell me about the accident. I won't do that to these kids. No, I'm not going to be the face of doom, the face of death to them. You cannot, you cannot keep pretending. Maybe I can't, maybe I can. I have no kids, no husband, a job I like but don't love. Who could disappear, poof, gone from this earth right now and do the least damage? Whose death would be easier to swallow, Callie or Elizabeth? Mommy, come be here with us. Mom, need me. I owe it to Callie. You are not thinking clearly. You have a life and you heard how Jackson feels about you. All right. <laughs> Once again, Aunt Rose is shouting the truth. 
to anyone. Shout, like shouting it throughout the fucking graveyard. I can't believe they went through all the trouble of like, Callie, you know. This episode is sponsored by Book of the Month. I've been subscribed to Book of the Month for three months now, and I'm obsessed. If you're a big reader or maybe even a lapsed big reader who's been wanting to get back into it regularly, consider checking it out. Book of the Month, they've read like hundreds of books every month from new and emerging authors, and they whittled on the list to just the very best. They provide you a diverse little selection of hardcover fiction to pick from, which is an element of it that I really love. I can find going into the bookstore to be super overwhelming, and when I know I have about a dozen really solid options to choose from, it makes the decision way easier. Plus, it's cheaper than other options, shipping is always free, and there's a loyalty program with rewards and even lower prices if you choose to stick around. There's an app where you can pick your upcoming books and track the progress of your reading, and there are challenges on there with rewards. Your book arrives in a super aesthetically pleasing box, by the way. That's the kind of touch that I always really appreciate. Personally, I read at my own pace. Sometimes I can only get to one of my two books a month, and I keep the ones I haven't read yet on my windowsill right next to my bed so I can just see them all there. It inspires me to pick one up and read. It's nice to have options in front of you. If you're interested in trying it out, you can get your first book for $5 with code pastel at bookofthemonth.com. That's code pastel at bookofthemonth.com. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Her family can't really afford a funeral. Like she's like literally like classic example of like families that are not prepared for the price of death. Right. And they got this whole fucking headstone made up for the wrong person. And that shit's expensive. Yeah. I well, I'm sure Lizzie has some sort of a trust or something that like that, you know, puts money toward her funeral. Well, she'll certainly be replacing it, you know. Um, so also, she drops a goddamn, which I appreciated um, in that moment of great emotion. I feel like we don't get a lot of goddamns in Lifetime. Very rarely, we also get another treat in this movie. Um, that's like a big in general for TV. What what she did. Um, I'm saving that, yep. but. Lizzie says that she wants to go to her sister's old place. Um, so she wants to go to her place. And she tells Grady that she would be, feel better at the apartment and that he can take the kids home if he wants. And he's like, nope, we all stay together right now. And, ah, uh, you know, there's really no way to say no to that. But 
I know. I kind of wish that she could have had her night alone. I do too. I mean, he's trying so hard to be there for her. Um, And they, so they pull up to the apartment and Grady's like, do you know the code? And of course, what is the code? Two, 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 two. (laughs) Because twins. (laughs) Yeah, twins. Um, So Rose is there making tea for them. um, And the little boy, um, what's his name? Ruby and Jud? Jed. Yeah. Jed. Okay. Um, He calls over for his mommy and he's like having a very typical post-funeral freak out um, for a child about how they don't want anyone they love to die. Um, Especially which is person that looks identical to his mother, like seeing her, you know, death happen. I think it like that was really the the tough thing for him because Grady goes in first trying to comfort him and he's like, no, I need mommy. Yeah. And it's one thing that I think that they don't utilize enough in like TV and movies in my mind, which is like the most relatable thing ever, which is like being a little kid and going through your first like death and funeral, especially someone who's really important. It's just like such a surreal feeling. And you're a kid. You don't know anything. You just know that someday everyone is going to die. And like, I feel like that first funeral post funeral meltdown is like a very real thing yeah that they could use more um in tv i'm surprised they don't um but lizzie says she needs to go on a walk and grady's like oh i'll wait up for you and she's like no just go to bed don't wait up for me and this is the part where it's weird because she is not attracted to him she doesn't think of him like that so she's not treating him the way that a wife would a husband even with like you know, any eye contact or kindness in any way. She's really treating him like sort of like an annoying brother that she doesn't want to deal with. Right. Which really like stokes Grady's already existing fears that, you know, she's over him. And I normally I would be like, that is totally inappropriate for Grady to like, you know, be going to Rose and being like, I think there's something wrong with her. Like on the night of her sister's funeral, like no shit, there's something wrong with her. Like, of course, like there's something terribly wrong with her. But um, he, you know, I, because because of the way she sort of interacts with him very cool like that, I could see why he was concerned. I you know, see that too. Um on the other hand, you know, to play devil's advocate, I think that everything that she is, you know, putting forth to him or not putting forth to him could very easily be explained in his mind to just being, you know, oh, she just buried her twin sister. Like, oh, I agree with it. you. <laughs> I I 100% agree with you. Like, in fact, I was just going to, like, sell him out the whole time and be like, fuck him. Like, he needs to calm down. Yeah, but, like, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to justify, like, why the writer decided to have Grady choose, like, the day of and, like, the couple following days after the funeral to, like, absolutely rail on Aunt Rose about how Callie doesn't like him anymore. Um I think so, she just, I mean, it, it, it's probably something like, you know, if they were working toward fixing anything and then this horrible tragedy happens that's going to affect his wife in, you know, the worst of ways, I can understand how he would be protective of 
um, you know, how that would affect fixing the relationship, I guess. So, you know, there's just, there's no right answer in this very fucked up situation that I really hope didn't happen in real life. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think, I mean, I don't think so. Lizzie goes right to tell Jackson, like she calls him right away. She leaves him a message being like, hey, I need to talk to you. (laughs) She doesn't like say who it is. And I'm also like, did they switch cell phones? I guess they did. Yeah, they switched phones. Yeah. And she tells him that she's alive and no one else knows. And, you know, she loves him. And we find out that the mysterious man who was at the funeral was outside the whole time watching all of this. Mr. Fisher is his name? Finch. Yeah. They, for some reason, choose to have this conversation instead of her, like, you know, meeting him in the lobby of his apartment or wherever they are and being like, hey, can I come up? I have something to talk to you about. She decides to do it in this lobby, this very open space that's only windows and Devin Finch is has followed her and is um is watching this and he's like huh this is odd. the only thing they have going for them is if that's like some sort of business district and it, that's just like spookily empty at night like the way downtown LA used to be 10 years ago like when you'd go down there on a Sunday and there'd be no one for blocks um so the kids are up in the morning at the apartment and they're looking for their mom. But Rose says that she went out and then Grady comes in and says that Callie apparently went home last night and needed to be alone. And Aunt Rose, you know, she knows the truth that she was with Jackson. Um, Grady's at a real loss and feels like the marriage has gone to shit. And so Rose tells him to just go to work and she's going to handle everything today. So then we see Lizzie's at the house cleaning um, and you can tell she's not a cleaner. Like she's just sort of like haphazardly <laughs> her spraying like, like an orange surface cleaner, like, but just between photos, like not picking them up and like cleaning underneath them, which is either a really great like directing touch or just as actresses, just regular ass bad at cleaning. Um, <laughs> also, but, yeah, is this another moment? And I forgot to bring this up at the beginning, but there's this one picture of the twins that comes back about 47 times in this movie. Um, yeah. And I think she's maybe cleaning that picture of them. I'm not sure. Yeah, it is that it is that picture. Um and Aunt Rose comes in and she's um, you know, she tells her that she's still conflicted about how, you know, she could do this to the kids. Like I, you know, she's just like I couldn't put the kids through this and she thinks that it would be better to let um you know her lizzie's lizzie's legacy stay dead and just raise judd and ruby so rose thinks that you know this is also really unfair to callie's memory good point rose yes the implication that no i'll just i'll just play her like i'll just be i'll just pretend to be her for the next you know 40 years like that'll be fine like also in you know you know lizzie's really not thinking because like how long was she expecting to do this for like after college like that she and her dad get divorced like she and their dad get divorced like when how was she planning on this playing out yeah i mean it's so crazy it's so crazy um and aunt rose you know then says something about how Um, maybe something great can come from tragedy. You know, when uh, Lizzie's parents died, she got to raise Callie and Lizzie and it was like the most wonderful thing in her life. And despite the fact that, you know, her brother or sister and whoever just died. 
Um, I mean, that's some tea is like there is like this low key, subtle shitting on Rose and shade that like exists in Lizzie's attitude, like where she's like, there's nothing worse than your parents dying. And I'm like, oh, you mean your fucking widowed aunt Rose who like supported your cheating ass, like raised you guys out of her fucking pocket for your whole lives. There's really nothing worse that can happen than like being raised by a loving aunt. Like, are you fucking serious, bitch? Like, I'm let's say it's her let's say it's rose's sister that is callie and lizzie's mom like she lost a sister too you know like maybe not a twin but like you know i think that's something that happens when people lose their parents young is that they never get a chance to see their parents as humans and maybe like see be a little bit critical about who they were as people. That's an interesting point. I hadn't... Because, like, you know, I mean, if I'm going to be honest, what are the odds that her parents were better people than Aunt Rose? Yeah. No. Not great. No. So after she brutally insults Aunt Rose, um, she says that she's going to tell Grady that night. So she, Lizzie's ready to, like, you know, tell him. And Grady um, starts to get jealous that evening because he sees that she's texting Jackson. He's like, oh, it's awfully late for you to be texting someone. And of course, Lizzie, she probably works till 11 p.m. most nights. So she's like, it's not that late. Um, he really wants to talk to her about how distant she's been these days and Lizzie's like, you know, about to tell him she's breaking down and she's about to tell him that they switched, but she can't really bring herself to do it. And instead, she decides to like buy time by telling him that she and her sister got into a fight the night before uh, she died. So, um, you know, her sister called her a selfish bitch. And, you know, Grady's like, well, you know, it, it'll, she didn't mean it. I'm sure like, you know, it's it. she loved you. It, it wasn't a thing. And she's like, no, I just need time alone. So that's basically an opportunity for her to get the bedroom to herself, um, which I thought was pretty. She was pretty quick on her feet with that one. Yeah. So now we get to find out what all of this terrible shit was for. Um, Jackson gets into his office and um, the guy, the man, the mystery man, Mr. What's his name? Finch. Finch. Okay. Mr. Finch um, is is like waiting there for him. And it turns out that the money he asked Jackson to invest was dirty money and he wasn't prepared to lose it. And he says that, you know, he sent a good warning to him last Sunday that, you know, he thought that he would get and basically implying that he's the one who killed Callie. So they get into this gigantic brawl um, and he pushes Jackson off of his balcony and then pens a suicide note on his computer. Um, I'd like to point so- out that Finch was not wearing any gloves. He was no. like hanging out in the apartment before or office or wherever they were before um, Jackson got there. So Lord knows how long he's been there. He's got like, I, I mean, his DNA is everywhere in that apartment. I couldn't stop thinking about that, too, where I was like, really? Like, I know you're stupid. Like, I know you didn't take a bunch of money that wasn't yours to go invest it and then, like, act surprised about it. But I really know that you didn't just touch everything in this fucking apartment with your bare hands. Like, also, when you think about it, like... 
that would be timed to the minute. Like I'm pretty sure a guy's body hitting the sidewalk isn't something that there's a ton of room to negotiate time on. Like I'm sure that there's cameras that caught that pedestrians, maybe like there has to be some sort of record of when he fell off the balcony and then when the suicide note was written. And I feel like any sort of forensics detective would like absolutely look into that. That doesn't add up. Um, Also this scene really brought up the, the, question for me and i know the answer you know in the film world is we have 127 minutes to you know put this movie on but so far there has been to our knowledge zero inquiry into the hit and run of callie yeah yeah it there's actually a great moment later on where grady is like you mean my wife was murdered and i'm like yeah she was murdered she was murdered with a car like we know that's vehicular manslaughter like whether or not it was malicious is not necessarily the point grady but she was that's classified as a murder yeah yeah a hundred percent yeah um so someone has to tell lizzie that her partner is dead and who is better for that job than Paula Abdul? No one. No one. Um, let's play 4609 to 4732. Kelly Sawyer? Yes? You're a twin. Can I help you? Jackson Kincaid. Yeah? Do you know him? Yes, he's was my sister's partner. Is he all right? What's going on, honey? Who's this? Um, this is Detective Tucker. Look, I unfortunately have some bad news. Mr. Kincaid died last night. (sighs) That's not possible. I just saw him. He, He was at my sister's funeral. How did he die? It appears to be a suicide. Poor guy jumped off his balcony. No. Impossible. I'm sorry. I don't understand. What does this have to do with Kelly? You know, we're finding some irregularities with Mr. Kincaid's death. And given the coincidence that your sister was killed by a hit and run... Are you saying they're connected? Oh, I'm not saying anything at this point. But it would certainly help if I could ask you some questions. I'm sorry. No, my wife is still grieving. Can we maybe do some... No, it's fine. It's fine. Are you sure? I'm happy to drive her. And I'll have her back in no time at all. Known grief expert Grady. <laughs> like, all of a sudden, tuning into grief. But also, I I am going to side with him for a second. Because to be told your sister's partner committed suicide and that you need to be brought down to the station for questioning in a different city is like, wait, but why? (laughs) Like there's no connection here. And I mean, we know that the connection is like, it's suspicious that both partners died, whatever. But the way that she presents it just gives no like there's just she doesn't to me make any argument as to why Callie needs to go down and answer some questions. I mean, especially given that like Paula Abdul's character, who I just refer to in my notes as Paula Abdul, Same. I know or Abdul, <laughs> um, she like has 
absolutely none of the information that we do. So like there's like there is like she doesn't have anything. She doesn't even know that she's even met this business partner, let alone she, has she, information. Her first on it. line is like, you're a twin. And it's like, wouldn't you would know that. You would know that if you had read anything in your case file that you have so far. Yeah, she didn't do a cursory Google, let alone she just decided to take a drive out to the country. Although I will say one thing about this detective is she does seem to like to drive. Um, she loves but, driving. So Paula Abdul's character in this is given, you know, they got to give you like a little like thing. They got to give you your thing. That's your thing that well, we can always ground the character. As because, a police yeah. officer, the thing is always food. Or candy. Oh, that's true. <laughs> that's think? true. It's food. They love to pass the time with like a snack. You're right. Yeah. And for Paula Abdul, it's Pez. Her desk is fucking littered with Pez dispensers. And we see her eating them. Um, she doesn't. But here's the thing. Okay. I have so many questions about this. She never, she doesn't take the Pez out like with her fingers. <laughs> She puts her mouth on the Pez head and, like, eats the Pez out of the extended head. And, like, I kind of wonder if it was a weird thing with Paula not wanting to be seen putting anything in her mouth that looks even remotely like a pill. Oh, interesting. Oh, because, like, maybe. we all know Paula's had her struggles. Yeah. And, I mean, um, if that's the case, then Paula Abdul came to this movie with a contract, like, requiring not only that, but that she bring her own wardrobe and what else that she, I don't know. She had a creative solution. I will say it probably seems like something that they weren't willing to budge on. Like they were like, well, that's your thing. You eat candy. And she's like, well, I'm not going to put something in my mouth that can be like made into a gift that looks like a pill. So I'm going to like just I'll eat it. But like, I'm just going to find my own way to do it. (laughs) I wrote in my notes that I think this is one of the laziest representations of a police officer that that writers can have is like, oh, I need my, I have my one thing. And maybe I'm speaking out of my ass because I don't know what it's like to be a detective or whatever. And um, they maybe do each have their own like sugar addiction. That's very, but I feel like that's a very overused like cop thing is like, like I was watch I was rewatching, um, some early episodes of SVU recently. And in the first few episodes, Cragen has like a giant uh, plastic thing of red vines on his desk. Uh And he's like carrying around red vines occasionally while he's talking to the crew. Like, I just feel like it's such a, a cliche. Well, I mean, the thing is, is like everyone, you know, being a police officer doesn't allow for too much humanity because they have to have their thinking caps on and they have to give like SVU doesn't really have an excuse. I feel like the reason why I understand in this movie is because like they can only give her so much of a character while also executing all these other things that they need the character to do. Um and she is like a lazy police officer at the very least. Um, but her things are wearing like 
you know, she wears um like scarves around her neck. I for like wouldn't really know how to like refer to the style of it, but it's like like super tailored like tuxedo style pantsuits with these colorful ascots and brooches kind of situation it's an ascot you're right that's exactly yeah that's her thing so she dresses she dresses well i guess and she has a sugar addiction she's a candy head i mean i'm not really sure where like what else they could give her that would be more appropriate that's the hard thing with it it's like is she a fidget spinner person later she has a fun sex life we'll we'll come to that in a minute yeah a minute Um, but so yeah so she says um you know she asked them all these different questions and she asked if liz and jackson were involved were they involved sexually um you know these are the kinds of things she needs to know she wants to you know and lizzie's just basically like there's no way that he would kill himself over lizzie's death um and you know she is lizzie she's right now her hands are tied because she's trying to speak confidently with the confidence that she does have about jackson and his character while also being someone who should really have no relationship or or much knowledge of him um but abdul like she's sensing something she's like hey is there something you're not telling me she knows yeah for sure um for sure because she is acting like a head case like she the one thing she's doing is she's implying she knows more than she can say right but she's not like completely she's not exonerating herself or anyone else as much as she's just implying that there's more there that she can't say so she goes did he leave a note and she said yes he did it was typed on his computer and she starts she goes through her papers here sorry to interrupt you this no. moment like was so baffling to me because Paula Abdul starts going through papers on her desk, but like picking up the bottoms of them and folding them up to read them. So we're led to believe that she keeps like piles of stray paper for these cases face down on her desk. And then she has to like, yeah. <laughs> flip through them backwards and and then she finds it and she's like yeah it says um what did it say just like it it was all too much or something yeah and she's like that doesn't sound anything like him and she's kind of like well what do you you know how do you know like how can you be so sure so then lizzie decides to drive out to her sister's grave and um does she steal flowers off of someone else's grave? No. So real quick, before that, she goes to the office, to Jackson's office, to go through the financial portfolio of yeah. Finch. And this was so confusing to me as well, because as she's leaving, there is a framed picture of Lizzie and Jackson looking like the happiest couple ever on his Show. We're business partners. Or <laughs> like, this is landed like, a big deal. It looks like they they are having a backyard barbecue and invited all of their best friends in this picture. Um, and that was confusing. But anyway, okay. So it's then a very like couple selfie for sure. <laughs> so then um, they go to the grave. Um, she did not steal flowers. She went to so Callie is buried next to their parents, and so she oh. stops at her parents' graves first. And then goes to sit next to Callie. 
So when she sits down next to Callie, she lights a cigarette and the way, so uh, apparently you're not allowed to show the actual like contact of a lighter and a cigarette on TV. So they did like this interesting shot where they like just did a random insert of like what would be the flame on the inside of her hand. Like if she was to like cover her, her cigarette with her hand when she was lighting it. And they just do that insert shot and then they sort of show, show it pulling away, which I was like, that's really interesting because most people like don't, there's no need to take the time to show the dramatic act of lighting a cigarette. But for some reason, they really wanted to like get around that rule, but also highlight highlight the act at the same time. And she says that she hasn't smoked since they were in eighth grade and she was smoking in the bathroom and um, the school like caught on fire or something. And then the two of them switched places and this like they neither of them got suspended because the teacher couldn't plant it on either one of them. Miss Hansen got suspended. Miss Hansen got suspended. And I'm like, you little cunt. <laughs> like, what's so fuck? bad? And Miss Hansen, like, actually, they brought this up back when they were in the bunk beds at the cabin, like very early on about how Miss Hansen couldn't tell them apart. Um, and so they definitely, this is not a dropped plot line. Like they come full circle and tell us the whole Miss Hansen story. So I appreciate that. Um, mm. And yeah, so Miss Hansen, the school suspended Miss Hansen because they thought she was smoking because Miss Hansen couldn't prove which twin was smoking. And it was really just these idiots dicking around. Um, <laughs> so, so rude. <laughs> she promises her sister that she's going to get this sorted out and she's going to take care of the kids throughout college and everything. And that's sort of when I was like, Jesus, like how much money do you have? I know. Lady, <laughs> like you're going to put two kids through college. Like, wow. Um, so three weeks later, some guy named Avery comes by and this is the guy that, you know, Callie was sort of involved with a little bit but not really. Um, and he's like, you haven't called me since your sister died. Um, and like, there's nothing charismatic or interesting about this guy. In fact, like right away, you're like, what the fuck? Like Callie would <laughs> put it all on the line for this guy. Yeah, He's no Grady. Let's say no, that. he's no Grady. He's also like, I don't know. I will say there's something about Southern men in particular that when they get a certain type of angry, I'm like, Oh God, is he going to hit her? Like, I can't, yeah, there was a moment with Brady too when he got really mad. I was like, "Oh my god, is he gonna fucking hit her?" He like, really it just hit. made me nervous. And I didn't understand. I guess his anger. I think he said something along the lines of like, "I told you what would happen if you didn't tell him or something." And like, it just—I don't know. This whole, this whole like side story. I felt like I—I I guess it kind of emphasizes the troubles between Callie and Grady, but it wasn't that necessary, I guess. Um, it wasn't set up enough for it to make sense. Yeah. And I don't know. Anyway, well, he does not hit her, but she slaps the shit out of him. Um, I really enjoyed that moment, actually. <laughs> Yeah, so then, um, you know, they scare him away between the two of them. And Grady's fucking pissed when he gets inside. Um, because, like, you know, he can't believe this dude is at their house. And Lizzie's like, I never slept with him, I promise. Um, you know, as Callie. And he says that he believes her. And they took 
vows for better or worse. And, you know, like he really isn't, he really clearly wants to forgive her. Like that is his whole thing this in this scene. Is like is so heartbreaking because he says, first of all, like, I don't think Callie did sleep with him. Like she didn't, she told Lizzie that they didn't. So I think Lizzie is speaking. She's like begging on Callie's behalf. She's like, please believe me. Nothing happened. It was like built up and nothing happened. And then he says, I believe you, Callie, which was like such a moment where it was like, oh shit. Like Lizzie's sitting there hugging him while he's saying, I believe you, Callie. And I think that that was just such a heavy moment for her that she couldn't, I, you know, because what happens next is pretty inexplicable. I think to everyone. Um, so I guess yeah. I'm to justify it, but so they boned guys. They, <laughs> they slept together. We come up on the two of them, like, you know, all tangled up in the sheets first thing in the morning. And, you know, I'm a little bit like, I don't know. I feel like you beat up that guy in the driveway at like 2 PM. Like <laughs> where are the kids? Like what, the, like what happened? Like, did you guys like, sleep together after you put the kids to bed or like when when did that all happen wait there was a wasn't there a moment where or have we not gotten to it yet where aunt rose says i don't have it in my notes but i there is a moment where aunt rose is like i think you guys need aunt rose is about to walk in like this is like what happens pretty much immediately after that is aunt rose walk and, and sees the two of them together and the look on her face. Okay, so let's just assume that Aunt Rose, I guess, took care of the kids while they were fucking. I don't know. I guess. And nobody was the wiser. I don't know. I'm just surprised she didn't drop dead, if I'm being honest. Like, I don't know how old Aunt Rose is, but I know she's old enough that she shouldn't have to deal with this. Yeah, she really shouldn't. But also, she knocks, but then, like, doesn't wait for any response and just walks in. And that was always such a weird... Like, I was very much raised, like, you do not go into the master bedroom of... <laughs> No, parents own. can do that to kids, but kids can't do that to parents. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I guess, I, but still, I mean, for her to, I don't know. It, I was, I was torn on that moment. I know they needed to make it happen, but it was weird to me that she, she was just like, oh, hey, it's 7 a.m. Like, who's taking the kids to school? <laughs> like, right, right. And Grady's just like, oh, could you actually do it? We're a little caught up here. Like, poor fucking Grady. Doesn't even know he just fucked his wife's sister. (laughs) You know, poor guy's finally feeling good about himself. Um, So, but the good news is, is that this was the thing that pushed Lizzie over the edge and made her do the right thing. Because she goes right to Dr. Paula Abdul. (laughs) She tells her... (laughs) She's Lizzie. She made a terrible mistake. Um, and then we go to like this, you know, it's cutting back and forth a little bit. Grady and Rose are at the house and Grady is like blasting rock music. He's feeling great. He so ready to- happy he just got laid. Yeah, no, no more doom and gloom. I'm ready to move on with life. We miss Lizzie, but like, you yeah. know, it's time to get He's back in the kitchen. He's like ready to go. 
Um, he-, he says he feels like he has a shot at making it work with his wife um, that he almost gave up on. And he's um, he says at the end of it, he goes, you know, I kind of feel like I got the old Callie back with a little bit of Lizzie, too, yeah. which is <laughs> like, is that Lizzie's freak side? So, like, what are we? That's so, so gross. Weird. Um, and he. And I kind of, my notes are weird because of all of the back and forth in this, this spot right here. But, um, Paula Abdul essentially tells Lizzie, like, no, keep this up until we can investigate. Like you, you can't tell him yet. So she gives, she gives her what I think is really poor advice. She's like, yeah, you know what? We might be able to use this to our advantage. Keep it up. So when she gets home, Lizzie fends off Grady's advances. um, And he's painting the kitchen in like this bright peach shade. It is summer Um, orange mist. It's fine. Like, you know, it's definitely um, something I would normally like. That was actually a big thing to me, too. Whereas, like, yeah, your wife's been telling you to paint the kitchen. She didn't just tell you to, like, go out and pick a wild pastel shade and just take it to the walls. It's a weird choice, especially because their kitchen has, like, a fair amount of wood paneling around there. It also was just sort of like... Oh, like that's what your relationship dynamic was, was like you were used to like Callie was so passive on something like the color of her kitchen, where presumably she spends a lot of her time. And he asked like, Rose what what color to paint it, not Lizzie <laughs> or not. Yeah. Lizzie meaning Callie, but. And he has no he's like, where on the color wheel, Rose, just point because like they've never even had a discussion about what her ideas are for the kitchen someday. Um, So um, she fends off his advances and then he's alone in in the garage when a car pulls up and Mr. Finch approaches and he says he's there to see Elizabeth. And he's like, you know, Elizabeth passed away. And he's like, well, can I speak to Callie? And then Lizzie comes out and says that, you know, she's. She's never seen him before. She doesn't know who he is. And when he leaves, he's like, that's not your wife, man. She's playing you. Um, So I'm going to play the very tail end of that scene and then the beginning of the next scene as well, um, because there's this amazing jump cut in here. Um, Let me play 5846 to an hour and 34 seconds. Do you know why I'm here? Elizabeth. Elizabeth, what's he talking about? Grady, I'm so sorry. I was going to tell you. Elizabeth. No. It was only going to be for a week. You've been living this lie. What were you planning to do? You just let me and the kids live with this while you're going pretending to be their mother? My wife? While Callie's lying dead in your grave? I, I don't know. You don't know? What were you planning on figuring it out? After sleeping with me? Granny, please. My wife is dead because of you. I mean, who was that guy? I, I don't know what's real or not anymore. It's complicated. It's complicated? That's all you have to say to me is it's complicated? 
Ali's dead. I'll tell the kids no, the truth. No, you will not. I want you out of my house. Lizzie, I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear from you again. And don't even think about coming here, Chad. I mean it, Lizzie. I want you to go home. I do have to say the shot of him like at like the flip from the garage to the kitchen. He is literally downing an entire glass of whiskey, like (laughs) probably three or four shots worth of whiskey. It's like an intense drink that he I have to say the actor slams it like he's a chugger. Blame him. I no. don't blame him at all. He just got I so my shit. <laughs> like, I I can't even imagine getting all of that news, and especially in the way that he does from this stranger who calls Elizabeth out on her shit. Um, I, yeah, but yeah, so he just starts drinking and then like kicks her out and. I don't blame him. I don't. I mean, I can't. It's so, um, it's just so. It's so wrong. It's so wrong. I can't get over it. Like, I would, I would really like, I, for both of them, like, cause Lizzie also had to like go through with the sex too. Like the actual act itself. Like she had to sell a performance. Yeah. I, I cannot imagine. I almost wonder if it's like one of those sick, like Simon Monjack, Brittany, um, Murphy, Brittany Murphy's mom sort of thing, uh. <laughs> <laughs> where they're both just like in such grief that they just like get lost in like somewhere in between and passion. Ew. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just, I also okay. I was actually I was talking to a friend of mine about this and. I have never slept with a twin or twins, but I feel like would you would that not be an intimate enough situation that you wouldn't know something is different? Like, and I guess no. I mean, I dated a twin for like years. Did you um, for years? My college boyfriend was a twin, and um. I, like there's there was no not telling the difference between the two of them for me like it was very obvious yeah. to me I I think like that's the part of him that's like I feel like I got a little bit of Lizzie too like it almost implied that he had some sort of dark fantasies about his wife's twin but let me I think I just stumbled on something mentally I feel like I have heard of a lot of stories where like the wife the husband finds comfort in the wife's sister so maybe that's the part that's based on a true story yeah is like a woman who married her husband's ex because like this movie does sort of leave off with the two of them in what seems like a companionate marriage yeah well and 
I mean, I guess the other thing that we have to pretend to believe is that like, he's so befuddled by Callie's, you know, persona in this time, like leading up to her death and like her 30th birthday and whatever, that he feels like he doesn't know her anymore. So maybe he, I don't know. It still to me just feels like, like (laughs) having sex with somebody would probably give something away. I don't know. Yeah, it's a massive, it's a massive reach to think it didn't for sure. Um, so Lizzie goes to Rose's house. Um, I'm sorry, but instead of that, she actually goes to Paula Abdul and tells her that the guy showed up to her house and she wants him arrested. And that's not how it works. They need to get him on a crime. Like, you can't just arrest someone for showing up to your house. Yeah, which, Abdul's like, oh, we need this thing called evidence. <laughs> yeah, which does suck because, like, when if you've ever like had someone in your space in a way that you know is like stranger danger like bad news like something's gonna happen you feel like the police should be able to arrest them like that's a very distinct feeling of being like how is this not illegal and like technically he didn't commit a crime like barely even trespassing if i'm being honest and so um you know and also Paula Abdul doesn't point this out, but like they could probably pin him on a lesser crime. But like, why do that when they could go for the whole thing? Like bringing him in because, you know, he was harassing them or something else that that would be that would like fumble the bag for like their bigger win down the road, which is the murder charge. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, I guess I I feel like bringing him in on something lesser could buy them time to investigate the murder charge. But that, you know, I'm not a cop. I don't, I don't know. Um, um, I did have a, I did have a child law question for you. Okay. So like, at what point is this abuse on Lizzie's behalf for what she's doing to these kids? (laughs) (laughs) Like, wouldn't, you like advocate to have the children taken out of the home at this point i think that would be some like real emotional turmoil for sure um okay so this is like weirdly i mean this is like anything that i think most people have seen um and right you know i'm a new, not. i'm a new lawyer in this um in this situation but i've been working in this area for a little while i've never seen anything like this but yeah um i don't know i mean because there is so within like the child welfare world the I mean, the end game is what is in the child's best interest. So I think a lot of that, especially given the ages of these children, because they could communicate like how that made them feel. Um, You know, they're what, like eight and six or something, it looks like. And I think, you know, there would be some credence paid toward how they 
dealt with it. Um, yeah, it, I mean, it would really depend on a lot of things, but at this moment right now, yeah, I would absolutely be like, I'm sorry, no, you can't pretend to be these children's mother. No, that is not in their best interest. Um, yeah, but here's one thing I'm going to have to step in and tell you is that you are not putting these poor fucking kids with Aunt Rose. Aunt Rose needs a vacation. She's already raised other people's kids once. Like, this cannot continue to fall on Aunt Rose. Like, absolutely not. That's a good point, too. I don't know. You know, it's it's less of a... And you know, she wouldn't and you know Aunt Rose would do it. You know she'd be like, yeah, they can come be with me. I would be so happy to have them. Aunt Rose is just raising kids her entire life. I know, because she didn't have a romantic life after her husband died. No. Ugh. And she's that's so fair. cute, I mean, too. It was hard to hear for me, too. I agree. I felt very sad for her when I heard that. I was like, but Aunt Rose, like, you could have you could have any man. I know. <laughs> she's, like, the coolest and so adorable and, you know... I don't know. Did it make a big deal out of the pot? Didn't at all, which I actually, I had a note <laughs> in that scene where I was like, there's no way she fucking smelled it. But if she smelled it, she let it slide um, <laughs> because she definitely has her own stash. So... Oh, totally. Totally. And also, like, wouldn't that be like a felony charge? <laughs> Not that they would be held accountable for it because they're like white girl twins. But like, let's be real. Like, is that like a fuck? You don't call the cops to your house because there's a dime bag in it, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, Lizzie could pay anything off. So that's true. She has she, she has that. She, she ain't worried. <laughs> yeah. Um, she's like Trump in that way. But um, <laughs> So when, um, you know, Grady doesn't, oh, so, so Lizzie agrees to like put on a wire and they do this really quickly. It all happens very quickly. Um, so she puts on the wire, but then the guy doesn't show up they, to the setup. And the, the like filming this or cinematography, I don't know the right term, but like they go back to these and I don't think we talked about this, but at the beginning of the movie, they had these like weird cuts at the and like split screens that we're all doing at the swim meet and we come back to that in this scene which makes zero sense to me and they're like they have these voiceovers for the scene that are very awkward in my opinion just a little DJ Viola uh, styling there just a little (laughs) director's moment from him it was I it was so weird they did do a lot of adr in this movie like they did a lot of like voiceover stuff i there was one that was really um memorable i think it's when uh, one of them's alone in the kitchen i wrote it down in my notes i don't think we've gotten there yet but it's like very notable the adr there like where they had the actress record a line off screen because like the plot wasn't lining up basically uh (laughs) So when he doesn't show up, um, you know, she's freaking out because like, what if he finds out this was a setup? Her niece and nephew are with her aunt Rose. What if he goes for them? At and Lakota Paul Lake, like, that's where she drops the the location. And I couldn't find a Lakota Lake near Fayetteville, Georgia. Hmm. Well, that's good because we don't want anyone to find them. No. And... <laughs> 
Um, Paula Abdul is like, look, I'm off duty. Let's go for a drive. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She's just going to take her on a fucking road trip. I like was playing out a scenario in my head in which like Paula Abdul is not even a cop. Like she's just a woman (laughs) desperate for a new friend. Like she's like really quick to take it to like the personal with her i'm like you guys have been in this together for like one day also she lied to you for your first like week of your case like she's not your ally like no it's been a month almost since she first spoke to her no paula abdul is like me trying to research the real story of this movie she is grasping for straws when it comes to this but god, bless, god bless you both i have to say i'm very thankful for both of you um so, so um guys i want to know at home like reach out to me with feedback i've always been so fascinated by the way paula abdul talks because something about the way she talks is you know an exaggerated slur which i'm open to the fact that she does just have like a natural slur slash any sort of like, you know, I don't really like to, I don't want to put that on her. I feel like Paula Abdul's been through enough, like oddly enough. Like I really don't have any, I don't want to put any more on her. I will say I do think she's clean when she's making this movie. But she has like a slight slur to her speech that can also sometimes happen with like bad veneers. But like, I don't think she's, I don't think that she's had the work done necessarily that's necessary for necessary to be done for that sort of like impediment to arise so you guys feel free at this point uh to uh, (laughs) while we play this clip maybe think about it and tweet me what you think is up with paula abdul's speech pattern if there's any speech pathologists out there i have literally always been fascinated by her speech and wonder like what mechanically is going on in her mouth I was going to say one of the um, reviews on IMDb for this is like Paula Abdul's the detective and she can't move any part of her face to react except her mouth. So maybe there's something that's like happening or supposed to be happening with the rest of her face that she can't like, I don't know, maneuver because of things and it comes out as a slur it like forces her speech a certain way i don't know i don't know how the human face works i'm trying to see what what year did sister secret come out uh 18 2018 like how much work she gets because so this is not it's not even oh so this is her soundtracks we're her acting bits let me see she's i mean if it's worth anything her music is used a lot apparently um for an actress this was like yeah she was also in a marshmallow video um but this was like her most recent work she's only really done like she didn't do anything after 2009 then she did something in 2012 and then again 2016 she's barely worked and like i feel like her career has just taken such a ding for like all of the stuff, like all of the like addiction rumors, all of that stuff that was going up against her. Like American Idol was probably the greatest thing that ever happened to her. And honestly, her like undoing. Yeah. And that's really sad. Yeah. It, in, a, in a way. Yeah, it is. How long was she on that show? I didn't watch it. But... 
I think she was on there for a long time, right? She was on the first, like, many, like, I would say, like, six or seven seasons. Let me look up for self. Um, <clears throat> she was on American Idol from 2002 to 2016, but that's not consecutive. Um, okay. She, I know that when we, Hey, hey Paula aired was, like, t- like towards the very end of her being on the show full time. Um, I don't even know what that is. It's that reality show. I think we talked about it when you when you and I did the mini episode together about how she um she had like a little e spin off that was like sort of capitalizing on her when she was you know, a lot of people for quite some time were suspecting that she was drunk on American Idol. Yes, I do remember that. that. She was on pills because, like, she was always drinking out of her, like, red Coca-Cola cup. And, like, she would just get more and more loopy as the episodes progressed. (laughs) And Hey Paula was supposed to be her opportunity to... There's actually, if you guys are members of the Patreon, um, my friend Troy and I actually recapped, I believe, the entirety of Hey Paula. Oh, I will have to look for that one. I I haven't seen that. There's hours of Troy and I talking about Paula Abdul. <laughs> and basically, like, this show was wound up being this awful, like, curse on her because, you know, it was brought into her life when she was going through, you know, some serious stuff. Like, the backlash from the show, there wasn't anything for her to clear up because the person that she appeared to be on her show was, you know, you know, she would talk about the pain she was in and like the chronic pain she has from, I believe, an accident that she was in. And also you have to remember that she was like a crazy dancer. So like, imagine the natural wear and tear that happens to a dancer's body. And then also add in that, you know, she had a car crash, was also living a Hollywood lifestyle, like, you know, Probably so like that includes like maybe not always taking the best care of your body, not just by putting stuff into it, but but also maybe restricting what you put into it. So like I believe that Paula was in a lot of genuine pain. Oh, I I also believe that she was abusing um, painkillers and I think that she was drinking on her painkillers and um, she was trying to do this show as a redemption. But like all this terrible stuff wound up happening to her, like, you know, really one of the first big things that's just a nightmare for her is um, she finds out that she was taken off of the Bratz movie where she was supposed to do all the choreography for all the dolls in the movie as well as yes. like figure out their um you their did talk about when we talked last time this i do yeah remember, and yeah. so she was really excited to choreograph and wardrobe these cartoons and then that movie was pulled from her and so this was just like it was devastating for her and i think at the same time she also sold some stuff on qvc and she was really like loopy and crazy on qvc and like if you'll remember like this particular era of um tabloid culture was you know incredibly it was i mean it it really like shaped the way the world is today because 
it changed how people spoke about celebrities. This was around the time where like the real mudslinging started because we had met this cross section of quick, easy digital photography and, um, you know, the internet and also social media. And so all of this stuff was happening at once. You could, you know, American Idol was being heavily, heavily covered in the media, but also Paula's behavior. You know, there was paparazzis getting pictures of her, like seeming fucked up and little video clips. And like, she could no longer just like go to gifting suites and act fucked up. Like this was going to wind up back online. That was the point of all of it. So one thing that like really didn't survive for her is like, you know, in a weird way, it's funny because I think about someone like Drew Barrymore, right? And like, to Mm -hmm. our knowledge, Drew Barrymore could be getting fucked up like six nights of the week, like just like blacked out. Like she could be get be getting fucked up, but we don't know her or look at her like that. Despite her having like this, like legacy of, you know, drug use and, and being in rehab at, at 15 and all that stuff or 13 even. So her legacy of drug use was early enough that it wasn't like part of the 24 hour news cycle. And like completely caught on camera. But also she acted accordingly. Like she, there was something that where she caught up to, you know, sort of what was, what was of the moment. And if she was doing any of that stuff, like she seems to be smart enough to hide it. She was never like, you know, Paula's of a certain breed where they're going to put themselves out there. Paula's like of a mid range fame where she's a little bit, older than like the younger people who know what's going on online. And she maybe naively was looking at it as like, Oh, I'll just put myself out there and I'm going to be Paula Abdul. Like, it's going to be great. Cause like being Paula Abdul has always been awesome for me. Like I'm this American treasure and you know, so many like different like niche communities love me. Like I I'm, you know, I'm Paula Abdul, but like one thing she didn't realize is like the media is cruel now. And I think like someone like Drew Barrymore, we don't really know a lot about how she lives her day to day life now. And I think like, she's someone who could be getting away with doing a lot, but she just happened to be like the right age, the right, whatever to sort of like realize, okay, I got to keep it on lockdown. You know, I also feel like and I correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't know a lot about Paula Abdul's story. Like I know the general arc of it. Um, And granted, I don't know that much about Drew Barrymore's story outside of the generalities either. But I do know that Drew Barrymore has like talked about her drug use and her very early addictions and all of that. Um, yeah, she did like the proper like coming clean. Maybe that's not like a perfect example. I'm just trying to think of like, you know, I think the thing with Paula was that it was like a perfect storm of her not being fully aware of the way that people talked online. Right. Um, like not being bored. Yeah, it was like a perfect storm. Yeah, like she started to fall apart well in the public eye at probably the worst time to have any sort of vulnerabilities. Because now, I mean, like Wendy Williams is a a fucking mess. And like the blind items are crazy about her every day about if she's on the wagon, if she's off the wagon, what's going on in her personal life, Um, which might be a little bit more fair game because she is Wendy Williams and like talks shit about everyone. So like maybe there's a little bit more of a pass for for that being somewhat okay. But 
like, you know, there's a little bit more dignity sort of to how people report now and, you know, certain problems, people are much more sensitive to issues like addiction. And a lot of that is because of Britney Spears and, you know, everything that she's gone through and what is undeniably, you know, just her situation was just undeniably like magnified and she ultimately torpedoed because of the attention she was getting. Like it probably would have happened anyway, but it put her in this like pressure cooker. Right. Yeah. I, I, God, I can't imagine being famous in any capacity. It sounds like like being famous and going through like, honestly, like, (sighs) you know, Brittany, as well like she was at that age for a lot of like young women when mental illness starts to show up and like be like knock knock bitch like i'm here like this has been repressed all these years and like now you haven't handled it or like you've been doing drugs or all of the above and she was in a position of like being alone so to speak i mean she wasn't i'm sure alone for most of her life but like she did not have a peer group by any stretch of the imagination. Like she She's was very much like in a room full of like in a crowded room, but completely alone. Yes, exactly. And I cannot imagine that life and how much pressure that has. I love Brittany. Um, I don't know. I've said this before and I'll say it again now. Like I am not a big fan of, the city of Las Vegas. It's okay. It's fine. Whatever. But I would 100% like the one reason I would want to go to Las Vegas would be to see Britney perform. Yeah. I mean, I, I have this, I have a similar uh, review for Vegas. Like I'm not a fan. (laughs) I would go for an event. I'm not someone who's like, Oh yeah. Just like, let's go to Vegas. Like I haven't been in a place in my life where I really want to like, if I'm going to go to a city to party, it's not going to be the most obvious fucking one. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, I would rather go to New Orleans or like, you know, some other place. I'd rather go to Austin or some like, you know, some places like kind of cool and kick back and fun. But um, I I will say I did think about going to see Gwen Stefani. I was actually looking at tickets for that not oh, long before. Fun. All this happened. Yeah. I mean, no doubt was like, no doubt in Blink 182, girl. Those are my favorite bands. Okay. Oh my God. I saw Blink 182 in Denver in September. And it, I mean, and like, so they were my, you know, one of my high school um, bands, middle school, high school, probably. And I went with my brother and two of our friends, and it was so fun. It was such yeah, a their discography is like incredible. Like I don't think people like realize like any band that tours and makes music like that, like a revival tour will smack anytime. Like I swear to God, one of the best concerts I've ever been to was like Sugar Ray, Lit, Smash Mouth, and um Sugar Ray Lit, Smash Mouth, and Everclear. And like, it was a fucking night of hits. Like, there's yeah. no, there's no not hits at a show like that. Like, it, every band came out. They played like, you know, seven or eight songs, you know, six of which were solid hits. And then they moved on. <laughs> and it was like, fuck, this is great. Like, yeah, I really, sounds pretty fun. Revival. 
I love a revival concert and I'm loving seeing like who from our generation and world are coming back. And like, it's crazy to me how quickly the turnaround is because like I was too old for the Jonas Brothers, right? But the Jonas Brothers are already on their like reunion tour. I think I was too. I was never really like in line with them. And I don't know when they exactly hit. I don't think I could tell you a single Jonas Brothers song, but I know who they are and like what their deal is kind of, I guess. It was like when I was in college because like when I lived out, when I moved out here, I think like in maybe like 2009, my roommate and I had like an ironic Jonas Brothers poster up in our kitchen. Okay. That like I had gotten for free somewhere. So we just like put it up. And you and I are pretty much the same age. So I just, I think I kind of just missed them somehow. But it's okay. You know, sometimes you're going to miss the Jonas Brothers. Um, yeah, but you sure. guys, um, <laughs> let's play this clip of the two girls, two girls chatting in the car. 102.59 to 105.35. I'm off duty. Let's go for a drive. Come on. I can't believe this is happening. He won't hurt your family. There's no money in it. Thank you for doing this. Sometimes you've got to bend the rules. Brady, I know you don't want to talk to me, but please call me. It's important. Shouldn't you have left a more detailed message? I didn't mean to worry him. He hates me enough already. This is going to push him over the top. Yeah, but being vague with Grady hasn't exactly worked out. Look, I'm sorry. I have no right to judge. No, I did a terrible thing that you're trying to correct. If I was in your shoes, I probably would have done the same. You don't know that. You're a cop. You'd have known the right thing to do. Elizabeth, given the circumstances, there is no right in this situation. But I lied. To spare the people you love incredible pain. I should have asked Rose how the kids were. She tries to look tough, but she's harmless. She looks like Ma Barker. Detective Tucker, my Aunt Rose. Ma'am, what do you say we lower the gun? Hi, the kids. Fine, they're asleep. Any issues? Yeah, when they realized there was no Wi-Fi. <laughs> so, I taught them Candyland. Ah, if it's candy, I like it already. <laughs> Remember, I am the Candyland World Intergalactic <laughs> Champion. Oh, it's your turn. Wait, whoa! What's your problem? Is that your winning strategy? Eat all the pieces? Hey, hey, it's survival of the fish. <laughs> I'm gonna go check on the kids. Oh, are you having fun with those? What? Do these hurt? Ask my husband. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> That's probably Grady. <sighs> Hello? Hold on, Grady, hold on. Now, there's a, there's a lot to tell. But it can wait till tomorrow, so please just finish your shift, go to sleep, and then come over tomorrow afternoon. Okay, bye. All right, ladies. I'm going to take a walk outside, look around. You don't think this Finch guy is out there? <laughs> no. He may be a killer, but he's not an idiot. It's freezing outside. Was that Grady? What did he say? Yeah. Um, he's going to be okay. Wow. So, I I love that, like... 
Lizzie is rich enough that she like genuinely knows it's not an insult when Paula says that there would be no money and <laughs> like, it's not about your family. There's no money in that. Like it's it sounds really harsh, but like in reality, it's true. Like there, it's it's kind of pointless to kill a, a civilian most of the time. Yeah, for sure. Um, the other thing that I thought was really funny is that um, <laughs> so when Lizzie leaves her voicemail for Grady uh, after that, uh, Paul Abdul tells her that being vague with Grady hasn't exactly worked out. And it's like, hey, Abdul, she wasn't vague with Grady. She straight up lied to him and pretended that she was his wife like that's that's not vague that's Mm -hmm. that's complete crazy i don't know i thought that was kind of hilarious i did too i also thought it was a why why was was paula abdul eating the candy on the board yes so that was the other thing so this whole candy land thing that like comes up a couple of times like we skipped over there was like this inserted shot a couple of scenes back of the kids playing Candyland with Aunt Rose. Like it, and we learn that Lizzie's the, you know, world intergalactic champion or whatever. Um, so this is like a family thing that they do, I guess. But I mean, did you play Candyland differently than I did growing up where it was just like a straight up board game with plastic pieces the setup that they have on this table is just it's like gumdrops and lollipops and like i mean it's just a smorgasbord of candy i mean i i guess maybe they when they play candyland they really get in the spirit they are you know in it but paula abdul is just like she's just taking taking the reins and eating candy yeah i think like you know, it's like the for them, it's their version of like putting on Christmas music when you're decorating the tree. You know, like they really just <laughs> they really fucking go there. They really do. And so we do come to uh, what I re- uh, referenced earlier, Paula Abdul's sex life, because she makes that funny joke because Aunt Rose is playing with the handcuffs and she's like, oh, do these hurt? <laughs> Paula Abdul's like, ask my husband. LOL. She really went there. She did. She did. I appreciated that. Um, so when she said husband, I like kind of got in my head thinking, because I was like, this detective seems less like someone who would be married and more like someone who has like a long-term boyfriend that they refuse to marry. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like from the I don't get like wife from this character. So when I when I heard her say she was married, I was like, all right. I wonder if she had that written in because like I was wondering like some actors not always and actually I would say almost never but occasionally in a role where something like that can be fudged they'll be like can my character actually be married instead of just having a boyfriend you know what I mean like it's just one reference that doesn't affect anything but I so I was like is it possible that Paul is married in real life right so I decided to look up her who's dated who because I told you I love this website. Yes. I didn't know about this website until you mentioned it. Oh, I do most of my best work on Who's Dated Who. I'm, <laughs> I fucking love this website so much. This, honestly, this website is like one of the many ways that the Smush Room 
uh, Troy's podcast, which is now called Dunzo, like came to like fruition. And I've definitely I've listened to some episodes of that for sure. Um, Troy and I like started I told him about this website because I think that I had maybe looked up uh, maybe some celebrities and like or who are they married to like when I was writing gossip right mm-hmm. um, and I've always had this like in the back of my mind this like website and so Troy and I were talking about some relationships and I was like oh just go to their who's dated who and like there's a lot of people like I read you Haley Duff's mm-hmm. who's dated who and she's done very well for herself um, but it's just like a great way to sort of like follow a timeline of all the people that someone has dated or even been like strongly rumored to be dating. Um, and Paula Abdul has been married multiple times, first of all. Um, but she had this boyfriend named John Caprico or Caprico. Um, they were together for a little bit of like a good, decent amount of time when she first got famous. Then she dated Arsenio Hall. <laughs> then. I know this personally because my sister my sister works with him. So she dated John Stamos, um, Emilio Estevez, which is great. Um, they were actually married for two years. Wow. I don't I didn't know that. I think then I she knew- had a husband named John Beckerman for two months. Uh wait, Brad Beckerman? Yeah. Yeah. I'm seeing him. Okay. And then it seems like she just goes really young all of a sudden. And she's dates this guy. What's his name? Hank Cooeen? Yeah. Cooney? Cooney? I don't know. I feel like that'd be one of those names that's like, oh, it's actually not that complicated. Colton Melby, she dated this like young guy. Like then she just dates a bunch of guys that look like fucking dancers. Yeah. Um, I don't know who any of those people past Emilio Estevez are. I mean, this last guy here is like probably 32. Yeah. What is this? This is such a fun situation that people can like or dislike these relationships. <laughs> Well, that's something I'm just learning for the first time. I have never seen this fu- this feature before. I believe this is new, which is like kind of crazy because I'm on this website a decent amount of time. Either they just added this to like the mobile portion or it's been on the I don't know, but um it means a lot of people have come in and rated Paula Abdul's relationships recently. I'm going to give her a thumbs up on all of them. I don't like people being negative about Paula's no, relationship. You know, we all date people for whatever reason. Like, they're learning experiences if it doesn't. They're all part of what makes Paula who she is. Exactly. You know, I don't, honestly, like, I don't know. And I, I, I would stand by, you know, everyone that I've dated. I would have some justifications for some of them, but um, I don't know that I would want people voting on it. I feel like that's a pretty harsh. <laughs> that's a pretty harsh. I mean, this is like the fucking tip of the iceberg for what these people go through. This is just an organized. This is just an organized system of it. This is for like someone who's too passive aggressive to say something on Twitter. Ugh, I can't even imagine. That's like just my worst nightmare is to. I don't know. This is. <laughs> 
to have people in your shit like this. Yeah. Can you? I yeah. mean, oh, it's just awful. No, I literally can't. Like, it makes me like I'm I'm uncomfortable with like certain levels of like people feeling like they know me from like social media um, to a certain extent, let alone the extent that people go to. Have you um, ever seen my favorite documentary? I think we're alone now. No. Okay. It's about like hardcore Tiffany fans. Yeah. I was going to guess it was Tiffany. Yeah. And they are, you know, they have very specific relationships with Tiffany. Like they feel that they know her and understand her and have like a unique relationship with her. And, you know, one of them is a former, like, she's had restraining orders out on him before. Because oh, he brought a Catan sword to <laughs> to an autograph signing and as a present for her. He was going to present her with this sword. And she was like, you know, what the fuck? Like, a, a person would. Like, you brought a violent weapon and, like, you've been writing me letters for years. Um, and, you know, he reads a, um, he reads a, a letter from um or no not a letter an article about like him getting arrested and tried for you know stalking and like i think he might have done some brief time for it if i'm not completely wrong and he reads it like it's like a fond old like just like oh this is a time like you know remember when that happened like that little bump in the road oh my god like he is like completely <laughs> I mean, the, you know, the ultimate irony of this is I think I told you last time, Paula Goodspeed yeah. was Paula Abdul's number one fan who killed herself yeah. in front of her house. Yeah. Paula Abdul's been through a lot, man. I, yeah. So I'm going to thumbs up all of her relationships on who's dated who. I am a full supporter of Paula Abdul, whatever she wants to do with her life and needs. I'm Paula Abdul. I'm here for you. But seriously, speech pathologists like hit me up. Like I've always wanted to know. So <laughs> Paula Abdul goes for this walk around the property while Rose and Liddy, Lizzie talk about how nothing will ever be the same between her and Grant, but they will try their best for the kids. Basically, he'll find a way to forgive her. So Rose is like, you know, still very optimistic about this. And then Grady gets there the next morning and he's they fucking do this whole fake out shot, which is like unnecessary i think because the like the i don't know the bad guys of this movie are not what this movie is about it's about like the right they try to do like a take out because like the last they show is paula abdul like alone in the woods and then they cut to like the next morning some feet crunching up into the house like on the leaves and then entering the door and then seeing Rose's rifle leaning up against the counter and then <laughs> um, we forgot to talk about the fact that Rose was holding a rifle in the driveway when Lizzie and Paula Abdul drove up. she <laughs> raised two girls on her own dude like you know she had to she had to figure it out sometime like she had to parent on her own I guess I don't know I mean did Lizzie not give her a heads up that they were on their way I guess I don't know yeah no anyway, no. I thought that was funny you can't be too careful either way even if like it's best to keep your gun up until you see <laughs> that's good advice that's really good advice uh, 
Keep your guns out, guys. Okay, so I'm going to play this scene 107.15 to 108.55. The hell are you doing here? Grady, you better sit down. I don't want to sit down. I just want to know what the hell's going on. Tucker. I thought I made myself clear, Elizabeth. A client invested with our firm. The guy that came by my house. His name's Dylan Finch. Apparently, he was either skimming or laundering dirty money. And when he couldn't get his hands on the cash, he killed Callie, thinking she was me, as a warning to Jackson so he would get his money. You're saying that my wife was murdered? Shh. You wake the kids. He knows I'm alive. That's why he came to the house. Now that prick is coming after my family. I'm taking care of it. What, are you Wonder Woman all of a sudden? You've ruined our lives, Lizzie. Guys. They found Dylan Finch's body this morning. He's dead? Oh, thank God. Oh, my God. Oh, thank God. It's over. But my wife is still it's dead. It's okay. Grady, No, Elizabeth, it's... this is not okay. None of this is okay. Nothing you say is going to bring Cal back. Well, let's just talk I don't want to hear anything that you have to say. Someone has to explain to my kids what happened to their mother. And this is on you. I don't want to see you again. And I don't want my kids seeing you when they get up. Now, hold on. Your sister-in-law risked her life yesterday to protect you and your family. Daddy? I want you out of here now. I'm coming, sweetheart. He was out of line. No, he's right. When my parents died, I was lost. Now Callie's gone too. I'm alone. And I have no one. I don't blame Grady. Um, I don't think that like he's earned the right to kick her out of Rose's house. Yeah, I I agree, but I definitely understand why he's still pissed. And like the fact yeah. that you know, Finch is dead, which is super anticlimactic, I think, in this movie. Like, it all, well, it seemed fake. Like, they just show a picture of him, like, dead face. gets this call in there, and then she shows this picture, and she's like, oh, great, he's dead, everything's fine. Um, but I, and Grady's kind of the only one who's like, but that doesn't change anything. Like, right. my wife is dead, you lied to me, and I, like, I don't, I, I'm so angry, and I don't know how to deal with my emotions, because this is ridiculous. Um, well, like, Lizzie's in, like, an unfortunate relationship, sort of lines of story that she's following in her own life that like one of them's going to get neglected at any time. Like she's worried about the kids. She's worried about the betrayal with Grady. She's worried about the kid. Like she's worried about everything that Callie should be worried about as well. While also being her. So like when she's thinking about Finch, she's not thinking like, Oh, but (laughs) I fucked my my sister's husband because I was lying to him about the fact that his wife is dead and his kids don't have a mother anymore. Like I I have to I have to assume that she's only that insensitive in moments like that because she doesn't realize um 
Well, it's like a one thing at a time mentality, you know? I would hope. Or she's just like the worst person. Like, I really feel like (laughs) this scene makes her so unlikable. I mean, honestly, like, she's not super redeemable in this movie, I think. Like, I have a really hard time because, I mean, I pinpointed probably three different times in the movie where I'm like, well, I would tell them now. I would tell them now. You know, the thing that's that sucks about this is because when we say it, talk about Lifetime, we're like, oh, I can't really say she did that in this movie. Well, it's like, well, this is the only movie she's getting, bitch. So she didn't do it. <laughs> it's not like Lizzie's going to have an opportunity to redeem herself like next week. No, she- no, I know. But I mean, like, you know, movies only show certain you know, certain parts, like there are 24 hours in a day that are not shown in this film. And so there are so many other chances that the real Lizzie would have had, but like, there are like, more than one, there's more than one point in this movie that I would have, as shitty as it would have been, I would have said something, you know, and I understand like the gravity of it. Like it's huge, but it's not getting better by waiting. There was just no adult thoughts. Like I understand. It's like she was giving into like her like most basic impulses in a way. Like she wanted to keep everyone safe. And so she just like ignored reality. Yeah. And too much time passed for like any reasonable person to ignore reality that hard. Yeah. Like it's like it really it I don't even know if it would have been her sleeping with her her sister's brother um, her sister's husband as much as it took Rose walking in on them. Like I think she would have kept that up. Yeah, I I think that's a I think that's definitely a possibility. Um But she, you know, to know that, you know, there's a third party to this, like somebody else knows. That's, I mean, that's huge. Um, Yeah. I don't know. And and I don't know how much weight, um, because honestly, I didn't remember that Abdul told her to keep it up for a while so they could investigate. Uh, So I don't know how much weight that carried. I mean, it doesn't get her out of it. I like, agree. They were literally, they were literally like a month and a half into her sister, like her living this fake life. Yeah. Before she would like invest all of this to Paula Abdul's character. Yeah. I mean, it's it's bad. It's really bad. Yeah, it, it's not great. Um. So, but Paula tries to make Lizzie feel better about her choices, but she, you know, she really can't. Lizzie feels like she's going to ruin the kids' lives this way, and it, her life was terrible when her parents died, and blah, blah, blah. More of that shit. Um, Rose does what needs to be done, and she talks to Grady, but um, he feels just like so betrayed by this, and sleeping with him, and lying to all of them about Callie being alive. Like, just left a bad taste in his mouth. Something about all of that left a bad taste in his mouth (laughs) but so aunt rose does and i think aunt rose is probably um pissed at lizzie at this point too um she doesn't show it as much as i think she could have 
because I think she still has so much sympathy for Lizzie, but uh, she does remind Grady. She's like, listen, like she doesn't have anyone and she just lost her twin, her partner, her sister. And Grady was dead ass. Like, really? Yeah. Like you're, you're going to pull that. <laughs> I <know. Who> cares? <laughs> but then she pulls the, you know, is it really like you said that you don't want your kids to ever see her again? Like, you know, they love their aunt Lizzie. Like, is this really the best thing for the kids to never see her again? Like, just they don't deserve to lose her too, you know? Yeah, like think about think about what Callie would want, she says, which I think once again, Aunt Rose coming through with the brilliance, you know. <clears throat> yeah. I mean he he goes like that's not fair. And I'm like, it kind of is fair. It's I'm like it kind fair. of is for someone who's asking for all the answers you're looking for during this time of grief. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> that's a fair answer. Um, so Lizzie sits alone in her apartment. She's just trying to enjoy a meal as her old self. Um, and she wait, tells a lot before she enjoys the meal, she's in the bathtub watching the old swim video, which <laughs> Um, one, she's just in a, she's not in a bubble bath. She's just, excuse me. She's just in like a tub full of water. She's watching this old swim meet on her iPad. And I don't know about you. I have zero videos of my swim meets. No, (laughs) no way. Let alone like in a digital format. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, if we do the math, like, Lizzie and Callie are maybe, what, this was 2018 and they were 30, so they're, like, two to four years younger than us? Is that Yeah, plus the year and a half it it took to make the movie. so. (laughs) so, So, like, my point being, like, we're around the same age, like, that it's crazy that she's watching this on an iPad in the I mean, it's just, it's actually kind of depraved. Like when you really think about it, like it's, it's such a a weird memory of lying for them. This is the kind of shit that got them into the mess they're into. Like if I was her, I'd want to watch that, like see pictures of them on like fucking opposite day. Like I would be like, what were the times in which we were really our own people? I want to like remember some of those times. They keep showing that same fucking picture throughout this, (laughs) this whole movie. We see it so many times, but yeah, Lizzie's just never been like guilty of ruining anything in her life. I will say. So when I was on the swim team, there was a girl on my swim team whose father would record literally every race, not even just like every race that his daughter was in. Like he recorded. Oh, he is a pedophile. Is what you're saying. Race. And, the, and we were all like, what are they going to do with all of this footage? Like, oh, he's a pe- that's on the dark web, honey. I'm you know sorry. What? to tell I didn't you. even think about that. until. <laughs> yeah, that's on the that's on the well, dark side. So if anybody wants to see me swimming the hundred free relay or two hundred free, you can find it. I'm sure. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, that's super creepy. Maybe he wasn't a pedophile. Maybe he was just like a really intense dad or maybe he was a spy for the other teams, you know? Possibly. That's that's a possibility. But like my parents, I don't know if my parents really ever came to a swim meet. Um, And this guy literally filmed like every single race. And like we all used to be like, like, seriously, what is what are they going to do with this? It's the most boring footage anybody could have. <laughs> but anyway. I mean, <laughs> I think he's a pedophile. I, I mean, how old were you guys? I mean, this is high school. Oh. Well, so, maybe not. I don't know if that's that interesting to most pedophiles. Just, I don't know. I think it's hilarious that you said that. And I've never thought about it. So thank you for... Well, you're the one who works with children. So if you ever need me, give me a call. I'm dying to work with like perverted justice, like the groups that like text pedophiles and like pretending to be teenagers. I like would love to do that. Oh my gosh. Me too. If I ever get in that situation and I'm nowhere near it, I will. I like, I hope you and I will be in touch after this, but yeah, yeah. just text me and I'll tell you uh, if it's a pedophile or not. 100%. <laughs> I've got your information now. You and I can be in contact. So it's a gut feeling. Don't worry. Um, so she's like alone eating her dinner by herself in her silk robe and she tells Alexis with some mac and cheese and she's listening to you know some sad music um and she tells Alexa to turn the volume up uh 111 20 to 113 25 We have a problem, Elizabeth. Alexa, turn on... Keep the lights off. It's safer that way. I'm not here to hurt you. What are you doing here? You know why I'm here. Finch worked for you. Hmm. In a matter of speaking. You killed him. What do you expect from me? I don't have your money. I don't like violence, Elizabeth. Violence is messy. We're business people. We can work something out. Hey, Elizabeth, it's me. Hey, Lizzie. Get rid of him. You shouldn't be here. Look, I just want us to talk. I don't care. Leave. Avery. Damn it, Avery. Remember what I told you would happen if you ever came back here again? Now get out of here. I mean it. Okay. Okay. Don't call the cops. I'm leaving. Yeah, can I speak to Detective Tucker, please? 
so much about that scene. First of all, like, I love that Avery is like their version of like calling the cops to order a pizza. Like when you're like surviving (laughs) domestic abuse, like that's like their shorthand from that one time they had a fight before they fucked, I guess. Maybe that's why it's also so notable with Avery. Yeah. Potential other lover. I didn't totally understand like how that was a signal, but because Grady's like, if you come back, I'm going to call the cops. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Good job. And she was like, but no, I mean, like, it's very, <laughs> it's written very loosely. Like, it I, it took a lo- too much thinking to come to that conclusion, if I'm being honest with you. Um, but the guy who plays the mystery man in this scene, his name is Jorge Longoria. Did you look him up at all? I didn't, no. He is a very, like, famous stuntman. Like, he's done huge, huge stuff. Like, um, Suicide Squad, um, Black Panther. Um, He's been on, like, he's done so much stuff. And he's worked more and more um, in very recent years. But he's basically a stunt actor. And this he So that must be why this fight scene that comes up is so long. Yeah, probably. I mean, probably. And I was wondering, the whole reason why I looked him up is because that voice sounds, you know, almost like they didn't pay the actor to say anything. And they just had someone dub over. Yeah. Interesting. Because, like, you never saw the actor's voice. Like, you never saw his his move his mouth or anything. No, and everything was dark. And you couldn't tell, like, who it was. So. Yeah, it's almost like they the director did it himself. <laughs> DJ? Yeah. I, I wouldn't put it past him. Um, but so, okay, the other thing is like, how loud does she need her fucking music to be when she's eating by herself? I know, I know. She, it, she's like, get louder, Alexa. And it, it's... Yeah, it's too much. It was loud when we started. Yeah. I, I was surprised it could go louder. I know. But they, they did. And like, you know, at that point, I'll just say in my life right now, if I want the music that loud, I just put on headphones because it's a little out of control. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, so I did like the line, I like jazz or I prefer jazz. I thought that was. Very clever of this man. He just like inserts himself into this scene very, um, like in just such a, such a suave way, I guess. He like lights his cigar and he's like, actually, I prefer jazz. It's. Yeah. He's scary. I mean, terrifying. Jorge did a good job in that scene. Mad shouts to him. He's doing very well in his career, and I'm proud of him. Jorge, a lifetime success story. Um, he's really done a lot. I wonder if he has any like fun facts or reviews or anything. I don't think so. Um, so here's one thing. So the whole like when Lizzie pretends that it's Avery and she doesn't want to talk to him, whatever. And so this. I get, I mean, so Grady takes this as like, okay, something's off. So he calls Paula Abdul and he's like, hey, you need to get to Lizzie's ASAP. 
but he doesn't call 911. So. Yeah, that's the other thing with like these shows when like the victim feels like they have like a short like a uh, like a shortcut to someone where I'm like the shortcut here. The only shortcut is 911. Yeah, because, okay, Atlanta is a pretty fucking huge city. Like it's I, I mean, it's not L.A., but it's pretty sprawling like L.A. And it takes a very long time to get places. So depending on where Paula Abdul lives, and she's probably got her husband like handcuffed to the bed I was or whatever. Say, like, oh, like her and her husband are going to show up. And like, I mean, honestly, that would have been a great twist. But like, yeah, I mean, there's <laughs> like, there's no way that Paula Abdul alone would be the the right person to take on this man. No. Like if a girl's, plus no one is going to dispatch anything faster than 911. Like you don't call your personal cop, you know? Like you no. don't call your personal detective. Not in an emergency. Like if there's something that like hey, I think this is going on in the future or I just found this thing, sure, yes. But this is a potential emergency. And Grady actually gets somebody else and he's like, please connect me to Paula Abdul. And do you think that he wanted special treatment? Do you, or like, did you think, do you think that maybe like he was hoping for some sort of special treatment or because she's been working on this case for so long that she might have some sort of like, you know, want to hide that from the rest of the department. Like this is her case that she's been working on. So don't just send anyone. I wonder if maybe he had that foresight or if he was just like, no, just like call my personal detective. I mean, I think it's kind of the same idea of like every time Olivia Benson leaves a card with a victim where it's like, Hey, call me if anything happens. So he thinks like, this is the person on my case, but in this particular situation, like that's not the best choice. I don't know. I, that is like a real thing though, by the way, like the victims like on SVU that call Olivia's phone directly. And then the ones where Olivia gets like Carisi or someone to come in and be like, live like, you know, so-and-so from the other night was picked up by the cops downtown with a bag of heroin. And she's like, God damn it. Like there's some things where like, like the victims are are taken in by cops elsewhere or someone else picks them up on something or they use the general line like for domestic violence and then there's the the people that are like i'm just gonna call olivia benson on her cell phone yeah i like that they now that you like point this out to me this is going to be something i'm fascinated about like what it says about the character that they called her personal line versus it coming from somewhere else in the police atmosphere <laughs> i just I just don't think it was the right move in this particular situation because he knew something was up. So, and, and as we dude. find out, like Paula Abdul doesn't get there in time. No, she doesn't. She's, it's kind of great. Like how this is basically the end of her character. Like we're not really going to see her much, like pretty much at all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
No, we get one more shot, I think. So Grady called the police um, and the guy inside uh, the mystery man tells her that she has 10 days. And if she doesn't deliver the money, her life as she knows it is over. And I'm like, well, <laughs> <laughs> tell me something sure I don't know. Really <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Grady decides to go into Lizzie's place and the dude uh, drops the gun. So luckily he knows the code because it's 22, 22 doubles. So um, two of a kind. So Lizzie crawls and hides away from then. And then Lizzie finds a knife on like the counter, probably from her dinner and holds it onto it for safety. Um, it's kind of like unclear what the places in the house we're at are like for some reason i thought she was like in a bathroom the way she sort of crawled away um but the mystery man is like god knows where in the apartment and then grady like comes up to her he finds her and he tells her that they're gonna find a way out of this um then the mystery man pulls the brilliant move of like breaking the only light that's in the place which is like what fucked them because now they can't see reflections on anything i thought that was actually kind of smart for a lifetime i'm gonna be real um Two of them try to find him in the dark, but then Grady, um, you know, decides that he's going to try and sneak Lizzie down the stairs. And then he tries to go down the stairs himself. But then the mystery man pops out and like strangles him with like a tie or something. He basically like grabs him by the neck and pulls him back. And then they get into like this big fight. They they get into this fight and Grady gets the craziest like the way that they tried to make him look roughed up was so crazy because there's this gigantic tear in like on the back of his button down shirt and undershirt, I guess, because I think you can from? see yeah. his back. And it's like what that that's not a place that I think that would have happened. And I tried to rewatch it and be like, how did, how did that particular tear happen? Because it's like a giant thing in his back. And it, I didn't get a clear answer, but I guess he was pretty roughed up. So, so then like Lizzie comes in and she's like the wild card in the worst way possible. Um, Cause she like, yes, ultimately she helps, but like the first thing she does is she finds the gun and she yells like for the mystery man to drop, um, Grady and then the guy like basically grabs the gun out of her hand because she's holding it like someone who's never held a gun before which I don't blame her for but like just shoot like it's an off like it's an off thing like well, and she had just shot like two warning shots into the ceiling mm-hmm. didn't she but that's why so she like it made her cocky right so I don't know I because okay her attitude is very fucking cocky in this scene and it's odd because like then once he pistol whips her, she makes her like this whole like thing a thousand times worse by I think she like pulls a she pulls a framed picture of her and her sister off the wall. Is that right? The the picture. And she's like she's like, and this is for my sister or something. And she's just like the way she's acting. I'm like, dude, like you are literally that girl who's like swatting away hornets like you need to chill out like this is about like doing less and doing it impactfully then like <laughs> like this man will kill is it not clear that this man will kill you because like he's gonna he's trying to like murder grady i like there's okay so when finally the guy they managed to push him over the side of like the balcony 
Well, doesn't she, she, I feel like she uses the glass from the picture. Doesn't she slit his throat and then he falls? Um, I mean, I think I thought she cut him, but I didn't, I didn't think she like, I mean, good for her if she did. I have no, I'm not going to lie. This scene one went on for so long to me. Yeah. They're trying to buy Um, time at the end of the movie for sure. Yeah. And then like two, I just didn't fully follow it. Like, I think there were things that happened that. I don't know, like, even at the beginning of the scene, like, somehow when Grady first came in, Lizzie's on her knees at the at the top of the stairs, and I was like, did, what did I miss? Like, how did he have her in this vulnerable position? Yeah, it was, it was, um, it was shocking. It was, it was shocking. It went literally everywhere, and did you notice when, like, the guy fell, his body landed in, like, a perfect shape of like an example for like a chalk outline. <laughs> it, is, it is like the caricature of dead bodies. Yeah. Like one arm up, one arm down, like both extended from the body, like legs, like spread apart, but like. Bent and the then this beautiful, like, like spread of blood coming. Yeah out of his a head. perfect facial silhouette like it was literally like it was kind of iconic just like how little they gave a shit because they didn't even have to show his dead body like especially not from yeah. that angle like they took pride in the fact that he was laying like that by the way jorge longoria won um screen actors guild award for outstanding action performance by a stunt ensemble in a motion picture for black panther Oh, I love that. I referred to him as Cigar Guy in my notes. Yeah, smoking a dank one. Yeah, I like... Which, by the way... I like to know that his name is Jorge. You would absolutely know if someone was smoking a cigarette like or cigar like that in your apartment. <laughs> I went back because that was one of the things that I thought. I was like, how did she not know? But it looks like he's lighting it as he's talking when he first talks to her but i feel like you can also smell cigars that, that's the thing is it's like they're so pungent like they're so pungent i guess he maybe didn't okay well i guess he could hide the sound of him lighting it because their fucking music's so loud but yeah the, the, it takes a lot of like energy to light a cigar like it's quite a process and i'm like he's just smoking a fucking cuban on her couch and she's just like alexa eating her mac and cheese i'm again <laughs> surprised by the product placement too with alexa yeah i was surprised about that too they had a fair amount of product placement in this movie like the alexa she had a. Uh, Lizzie's, or I guess at Jackson's office, there was a Mac, um, an Apple computer um, that was in full view. I think there was another Apple computer, but I could be wrong on that. Um, yeah, those are biggies, though, right? I mean... If you- you know more about that than I do. I don't but- know that much. I will see that like they've become completely either a lax about it or they're like actively working with brands. Cause even just when we did psycho BFF, like there was so many weird product placements. Like you'd be like palm olive dish soap, like right there. And I'm like, (laughs) you 
you put your dish soap in this movie where like this girl convinces her friend to run away and then like tries to murder her in a bathroom like that's where you put your soap but well that's what I I had noticed like the orange spray in the scene where she was at Callie's house like fake cleaning the pictures and then there was also this like weird orange juice box on the table when she and Aunt Rose were talking in that scene as well um and oranges in the fruit bowl on the table there was a lot of orange well okay here's a here's a thought do you think that they were more likely to do a product placement with like the wealthy luxurious person and like sort of gave the family like the more generic like this could be from the dollar store type of stuff yes yeah, I absolutely think that because I didn't offhand recognize any of those. Because like the only positive things. association I can think of with Alexa and this, outside of the fact that I bought this movie on Amazon.com, is that, like, <laughs> you're welcome. Wh- which is possibly why, by the way, I'm like, me, I'm like, how how far does this shit go? Like, how deep does this shit go? But, but I do. I will say, the first time I saw this movie, I watched this movie because I have a subscription to the Lifetime Movie Channel. Oh yeah, no, network. this was on this was uh, on LMC not that long ago. I, I buy movies from. Yeah. I have to buy movies on Amazon all the time. It's not a, like that's not a thing. Um, but yeah, I was gonna say like maybe. Alexa is like, oh, if it's like chic, if it's aspirational, because all they talk about is like how fancy Lizzie's lifestyle is. Yeah. And like, that's kind of like a perfect cross section for marketing where it's like, okay, you want to feel rich, get this like $200 device and we'll spy in your house. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I, I don't know. I mean, I can't relate to that. I don't know if you have any of those situations it's never i don't have one been of, yeah me either it's never been any interest to in me um my ex though he did get an alexa when we were living in dc and i thought it was just kind of weird it didn't it didn't mean much to me i'm sure there's a lot of people who really love it i just I'm like, I'm doing stuff on my phone or like on my computer or on my TV and I'm not going to set up. I'm not that type of person. I know I'm not. I'm not going to be syncing all my devices to this Alexa. And then like, you know, I don't know if you've noticed. I still have a paper planner, so I don't need an Alexa. Totally, totally. And I like, you know, then there's also the aspect of it, you know, potentially spying on you all the time, which like, for me, I feel like like curated like ads and like suggested stuff to me has like gotten so specific that I feel like it's down to like my thoughts. Like I'm like, I haven't even said that out loud. Like, how do you know what I'm thinking, bitch? Isn't it crazy? Yeah. Like when it's, it's so crazy. that's happened like a lot, I think maybe the last two weeks. And I'm wondering if it's because like my train of thoughts like aren't particularly unique. And so like if I watch something like this, it makes sense that eventually I would think about something like this. Right. You know, like I could see that, but it does creep me out when I'm like, I feel like I am thinking of this completely randomly. And for some reason, like my app knows that I want to search this already. Yeah. It's 
My, my Instagram ads are so spot on. It's creepy. Yeah, it is. It's fucking weird, dude. Um, and I try like not to engage with them because I like, I try to like find a unique way to like get back to them without like engaging with the ad. But like, then there's other times where I'm like, fuck it. This is for me. Like this was here. This was good here for me. Like, what do you mean? I'm not going to click on this. Like, <laughs> and I am. I I'm not going to lie. I can be such a sucker for an ad like that. I will tell you, I did buy a pair of. I haven't bought anything from Instagram in a very long time, just because you know, depending on especially what ads you get, like it's not the greatest stuff. I bought a pair of flip flops from Instagram and I'm, and I fucking love them. And they were like 35% off. And then I like ran like the coupon app that I use over it. And it was like, they were like 12 bucks or something. And I've been really happy flip flopping around in them in my place. I'm just so glad that like my days of like, drinking and shopping are are no longer like the days in which I'd just be like yeah I'm gonna drink like half a bottle of wine and get on Amazon like I don't I feel much less called to that that doesn't say that I don't still impulse buy but I oh, I will I still drink a half a bottle of wine I don't necessarily buy things because of it but oh yeah no I drink wine I just in my I just don't I'm not like Oh, I, you know what will feel good? Shopping. It's like, no, you already feel good, you fucking idiot. Don't shop. <laughs> um, so basically, the guy, um, the guy's dead. Paula Abdul is like pretty surprised and impressed by the work they did together. Um, she's kind of like has this reaction shot outside of the it's like typical ambulance shot, and then it, that's in like soft focus, and then Paula Abdul's just like right there, and she's like, you know, looks like a little concerned, and then she looks proud, and then she looks back to the ambulance. I didn't realize this until the last time that I watched it, but she, like, she's looking forward, and then she looks back, and the camera kind of look like focuses on at the back of the ambulance, Lizzie and Grady are both sitting at the back of the ambulance together. Cool. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I know. So um, they are, they they sit together. Like (laughs) they've been through shit together. They now have something to like, I don't know, connect upon that they didn't before. (laughs) Yeah. I just like, it's so funny that like they use Paula Abdul to illustrate that because like, I mean, I don't know. I, part of me feels like that must have been like green screened or something. I know it wasn't, <laughs> but like the just the lack of interaction and also just like what what was happening there. Like it wasn't like Grady on a stretcher or like something like that. It was just them like sitting there, and I'm like, well, why doesn't she go over and say hi? Like this is weird. Yeah, she's done. She's done. <laughs> she's like, I'm done with you fools. So, um, Grady and Lizzie uh, decide that they're gonna find a way to be cool about this. He hasn't told the kids about, um, you know, the fact that their mom's dead yet, and that their aunt has been pretending to be their mom. Um, and she tells him that she wants to be there for the kids, like you know, forever and ask him to please, you know, keep them in their life. So this scene of them driving from Atlanta back to Aunt Rose's is insane in that 
I don't know if you noticed. I almost texted you a screenshot of, of this earlier today because the driving scenes are so bad. What do you mean? Like the backgrounds, the backgrounds are so bad. There's one point where it legitimately looks like Grady is driving in the middle of the road, like over the yellow line. And there's a car that went by that's driving on the left side of the road and going the other way. Was that not, I mean, I guess it, it wasn't real driving, I guess. That's weird. It was, it was so terrible. Like go back and watch it because it, it's just, you have to send me the screenshot and I'll post it. Okay, this whole scene. I don't think the screenshot gives it justice, which is why I didn't text it to you. But um, this whole scene like, is, if you don't focus on the actors and you focus on the background, it is remarkable. Okay, I'll have to, I'll have to take a video and put it on the Instagram because it sounds, sounds pretty good. Um, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, Kate. I did not write down any notes for the rest of this movie because I was like done with it. Like I was like, okay, great. They're not going to ruin the kid's life. Of course, I watched it twice. But um, basically, they just go to the lake and meet up with Aunt Rose. And it's kind of up in the air whether or not she's going to... Like, she is about to tell the kids. Like, that's where they sort of leave off. But Grady won't let her. And then... Rose takes the kids down to the shore, I guess. And then they have this sort of weird moment where I guess they're sort of silently agreeing to enter into a companionate marriage. (laughs) Yeah. So, and this is where the shrimp thing comes back because Lizzie's like, you know, let's celebrate. Like, we'll splurge and grill steak and lobster. And Grady's like, you know, I'd be happy with just a bowl of mac and cheese, which is something Lizzie said early on um and and getting to know you all over again so we know that grady is open to this and lizzie kind of returns that with like you know i never really knew what callie saw in you but i'm starting to see something are they or, fucking dating know. now like i don't get it like that is are they, they fall so fast it's weird are they and pretend then, like forever that like she's callie so i have zero idea but then we get that like my favorite lifetime ending which is the you know script at the end that tells you what happens but in this case it's literally the worst because it leaves everything with so many more questions than when I started because it says um, Elizabeth and Grady married nine months later and then they told the kids the truth when they were old enough what the fuck does that mean yeah what the fuck does that mean that honestly probably okay so, okay, I understand the essence of what you were looking up now. Because, like, you were, like, I think it's about the reveal. I think that that was probably how it was in the press. 
Well, yeah. So I took this from a lot of different angles, but the reveal was one that I definitely tried to look at. Like, mo- um, like you know, mom admits my my mom is my aunt. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. I feel I feel like guys. Do you? Does anyone out there like? Does this remember? Like, are you remembering anything? Hearing this, it feels like something that you would definitely see on like Inside Edition. Yeah, like it. I don't know. I mean, so my thoughts are are this like either this is like <laughs> one of the most tightly held secrets in the history of journalism <laughs> or um <laughs> or it's and i and i meant to look this up before i before you and i talked but like if there's a difference legally between saying something is like based on a true story versus inspired by a true story and like what the difference is because the you know if this is a a story that's like oh my 30 year old friends switched places and then they switched back and somebody was like i mean god what would have happened if one of you was murdered <laughs> like you know like it right maybe it was that a loose interpretation well i mean i i really do think a lot of the ones that they say are inspired by true events are like for the most part things that can happen anywhere in america and like you're just like oh whatever like oh two kids are crazy together like whatever that could happen anywhere um and you don't really bother to like look it up i think yeah i'm sure it was something like that i mean being in I mean, it is, I, I've seen too much Project Runway to not know how loose inspiration can be. <laughs> That's a really good point. Uh, yeah, so my my thought based on the zero information that I've gleaned from my extensive trials Thank and you researching. for, for caring so, that much. I honestly, it's very rare that anyone cares that much. <laughs> Girl, I I have just yeah, I went a little bit crazy. Um Are you okay? But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for asking. Yes, I'm fine. <laughs> Good. <laughs> and I will let you know if I hear back from the production. Company. God, I'm like dead. I I hope it doesn't like keep you up at night. That was really like this was really bothering you, dude. I I appreciate your investment, honestly. No, it. This is not the thing that keeps me up at night, but <laughs> it's definitely a nice distraction from some other. Things. Oh, good. <laughs> oh my god. Well, Kate, thank you so much for coming on and doing this movie with me, especially you know during the quarantine. And I'm so glad we got to connect and like do a mini episode. And now this. This has been so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. And, and I'm so grateful for you and the podcast. And I don't know. it. You make my Sundays. So. Oh, girl, I'm fucking grateful for you. Like, I'm so I'm so like thankful, first of all, that you listen to my podcast. But secondly, that you came and you did all this work. Like you were saying beforehand, you were like, this is a lot of like work. I'm like, yeah, that's why it's like hard to ask people to do the show. Oh, yeah. You guys, I told Molly earlier, <laughs> I was, I told Molly earlier, I really wished for her sake that she could bill hourly 
like I can because <laughs> I put a lot of hours into this and um, I can't even imagine how many more she puts into it than I That's did. very so. sweet. I have to tell you that I would be the worst person at, I think about like people that bill hourly all the time. And I'm like, how do I even quantify what an hour of my time is? You know what I mean? Like, it's a really difficult thing to do. Especially when you're doing everything in like 15 minute segments, you know, like an email here, an email there, what equals an hour? Oh, no. So we do um, tenths of an hour. So everything's in six minute increments. Oh, shit. Yeah. So you're not paying for really, you're not really paying for more than you're actually getting. So. Wow. Who knew? I should know that, but I didn't. That's interesting. Well, fuck. All right. Well, if we ever have a really lawyery movie, we have to have you back on. Thank you so much for coming on and and for you know i hope you get to go be with your puppies and kitties i know all of our pets were having a, a moment during this um and i'm glad <laughs> with another pet owner, any background another person at home with their fucking animals um well girl thank you so much and um you know everyone will if you decide you want to share your information we'll put it in the description of this episode um and everyone can find you there and if not well then you you just found her here so i hope you enjoyed it <laughs> thank you so much i will i'll talk to you soon okay all right sounds good thanks bye bye guys i have to admit i never really understood what callie saw in you but i'm beginning to know why she fell for you Hello, friends. This is Mark Nell, executive producer of the Table Read podcast, where imagination meets performance. As we wrap up an incredible season one, we want to take a moment to express our heartfelt gratitude to each and every one of you who tuned in and supported us on this amazing journey. Season one was nothing short of extraordinary. We delved into captivating scripts that transported us to worlds beyond our imagination, thanks to the brilliant writers who delivered these works. But what really brought these stories to life were the talents of our amazing actors. But Wait, the excitement doesn't end there. As we bid farewell to Season 1, we are thrilled to announce the launch of Season 2. Get ready for more gripping narratives, more unforgettable characters, and more mesmerizing performances that will keep you on the edge of your seat. We have some big surprises coming. The Force will definitely be with you. So stay tuned, stay engaged, and most importantly, stay excited. From all of us at the Table Read Podcast, thank you. And let's make Season 2 even more memorable together.